When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk Brought to you by Cleveland.com, Doug LaMaurice here with you today. I'm going to knock this baby out today. We'll have Stephen Means uh, with me next week as we preview the spring game. Spring game, April 13th. Tickets, what am I doing, an ad for Ohio State? Listen, this is not an ad for an Ohio State. For Ohio State, it's an ad for you because um, I have said before, I'll say it again, I think the spring game is one of the great experiences for an Ohio State fan. I've said before, when I was a kid, my family was not a family that could go to a bunch of uh, normal college football games. It's expensive. It's hard to get to for some people. Go to the spring game. It's five bucks. If you have kids who are Ohio State fans, they're in the stadium. You're watching all Buckeyes. You're going to see guys you care about. It's a great chance to see your team without paying a lot of money for it. So I highly recommend the spring game, which will be on April 13th, by the way. Just double-checked. I got a question from somebody else. It is going to be on the Big Ten Network, so you can also watch it at home. Also, I think I, I was talking um, with our friend Jake Burns, who at Cleveland.com does a lot of great film breakdown stuff for us. I saw him at the Odell Beckham introductory news conference in uh, Cleveland on Monday when I was there. He does a lot of Brown stuff, also does some Ohio State stuff. And Jake and I were talking about this Ryan Day offense, what this Ryan Day offense is really going to look like. And, and I've, I've talked with Ryan Day about this. I, I talked with Jake about it. I, you know, I've talked with some other people. Just where this is going to evolve from the standpoint of how much is it going to look like an NFL offense, how much is it going to look like the Urban Meyer offense of old, how much is it going to have this Chip Kelly influence, who is Ryan Day's offensive mentor, um, going back to his high school days, who, who, who we saw when Ryan Day got here in 2017. Everybody went nuts talking about these mesh routes in the middle of the field where the wide receivers would sort of cross each other, maybe 10 or 12 yards from the line of scrimmage, um, confuse the defense, kind of set little picks for each other. Then sometimes they'd settle down in a zone there or break free there anyway. It was like, hey, that's Chip Kelly stuff. We saw that right, right away from Ryan Day. But now what we're going to see from Ryan Day is, I think, some combination of all these things that's going to be the Ryan Day offense. Just like Urban Meyer said a million times when he was here, no matter who the offensive coordinator is, it's still going to be the Ohio State offense, the Urban Meyer offense, right? Well, even so, so now that's not true anymore. So even what we saw before, it was Ryan Day calling the plays or running or influencing the Urban Meyer offense. Now it's just going to be the Ryan Day offense. So I don't think he's going to show us everything in the spring game, but I think there will be some things because they've got to they've got to do what they've been working on in practice and what you work on in practice is what you're going to do in the fall. So you've got to work on some of these things and we're going to see maybe formationally 
We're going to see personnel. We're going to see a little bit of the play calling. And it's not just under center and in shotgun, but it's it's how often is a tight end split out as a slot receiver. How do the H-backs line up? Do they do anything maybe with some two-back sets? I've always loved in the past. when you know It only happened a couple times a year when J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber would be in the backfield together. Just what are we going to see? And the spring game, for that reason, when you have a coaching change, I think the spring game that's, gets that much more interesting. The spring game is always interesting because you always have player change. There's always new guys you want to see. You want to go see you know, um, what, uh, what uh, Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett and um, you know, Teron Vincent look like replacing Draymond Jones on the interior, right? You want to see what Tyreek Smith looks like getting more snaps. You want to see Austin Mack back healthy. You want to see how Jalen Harris and Garrett Wilson and more Chris Olave look among the receivers. You want to see all that. But from the standpoint of how this offense is going to operate, the spring game, we're going to get a taste. We're going to get a taste that matters. So if you watch it at home, maybe maybe record it. Maybe do a little scouting, a little film breakdown of your own. Um, we might have Jake there for us so that Jake can really delve in on some of those X's and O's that he does so well. And I'm just very curious to see sort of how this works. So that's my ad that Ohio State's not paying me for. But that's all right because it's for you. That's my ad for the spring game, April 13th at noon in Ohio Stadium, also on the Big Ten Network. This is Buckeye Talk. Thanks to you guys for listening. Um, I'll tell you what we're doing this week. And it's exciting. And and listen, it's not – I love I love everybody, Right? Everybody loves everybody. Um, but I'm giving a little I'm giving a little shout out to my text followers for today. So 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 on um, Tuesday night, I sent out to everyone who follows me on our new text messaging messaging app. I said, send me your Buckeye Talk questions. Poured in, they poured in. I got like 34 responses immediately. Um, just from text message people. So I'm going to give a little edge to the text messengers because they're paying for it. Now, I love you all. I'm still going to get to the Twitter questions. What I'm not going to do, I'm actually not going to get the, to the email questions this week because there's just so many. And I'm going to save them up. We'll get to some more email questions next week. Okay. Um, but I'm going to give the text message followers a little edge. And, and I'm going to do a tiny ad, tiny, tiny, tiny ad for the text message thing, $3.99 a month. You get one or two text messages a day. Maybe maybe like one day a week I don't send any. It's like if it's Sunday, like I'm hanging out with my family, maybe you won't get one that day. But most days, one or two a day, just little bits of insight, little things, little things that I got thinking in my head, things I've heard, things I've talked to about, things that maybe will appear in stories later, but I'm giving you a head start on those. Um, just little bits and pieces right in your phone. $3.99 a month, great response so far. Um, I can tell you, uh, let me see, let me see, uh, someone just said something good about it. Someone said good about the text thing. Someone said like, I love it. So I want to like say that, but I could, I could just lie. Oh, here it is. The text stream is so, let me count one, two, three, five O's. And so the text stream is so great. Thank you. So they think it's worth it. The three ninety nine a month for a little dollop of Ohio State football wisdom in your phone once or twice a day. Try it out. You can go to Twitter at Doug Maurice. It's my pinned tweet. You can also go to cleveland.com. There's lots of ads for it there. You can find it there. Um, it's, or you can go to Project Text slash Campaigns slash 28, which you're not going to remember. Just go to my Twitter at Doug Maurice. You'll find it there. I'm not going to talk about it all the time. I'm going to talk about the football team that you care about, but I wanted to get that out there. So, 
spring game coming up. Um, we get to watch practice Friday. It'll be an interesting report for that. So as we break down a week from now, as we do our spring game preview, Stephen and I, we'll break down. Part of it will be we'll know more. We'll, we'll, we'll know even more. We're talking to Greg Madison and Ryan Day on Friday. We're getting to watch practice again. I will say the first couple times I've watched practice, I've been watching for depth chart. I think I talked about that. Here's one thing that's happening to me. I have so I spout. I have so much spouting. I'm like a whale. I'm spouting so much that sometimes I forget where I've spouted my spoutage. So if I were, if you're hearing anything on here that you heard before, I apologize. But I can't remember sometimes if I texted it, if I said it on the show, if I wrote it. So I've been watching practice the couple times we've seen it for depth chart. Who's playing? What are the personnel groupings? Who's out there? But this next practice, I think we have a sense of that pretty well. I'm really going to try to watch much more for like – Guys who pop, what, what like, what are we learning about? Who are the guys who are, have improved, right? Who are guys who are showing things we haven't seen before? Um, I think we can go overboard on that sometimes. I think fans sometimes like it when we go overboard. We can be breathless about what happened on one play in one practice. Well, most of the time we don't get to see it. But that's what I'm going to look for Friday is, is, is the performances, not just the depth chart. Because I think we've gotten uh, the depth chart uh, locked in pretty well. So... We're going to get to your questions, and there's one that I want to start with. And it's an interesting one about recruiting, and I think I've talked about this. It's not recruiting. It's looking back on recruiting classes, okay? And I've talked about this. I'm still going to write about this. I asked Ryan Day about it with the 2018 class, um, that it's, it's time to lean on the 2018 class a little bit, but they don't have to rely on them um, to win, right? They don't have to rely on them to win, they have to rely on them to supplement, okay? So uh, the question, man, it's a, it's a good – and I was thinking about this. How am I going to – so when I get these texts – so I text message people stuff, right? I send out a text, and everybody who's paying for this gets the same text, right? And you then can send me a message back, and I see it. I see all the messages you send. I don't always respond, right, because – First of all, I don't necessarily think um, everybody wants a response to everything. I don't want my, your whole phone to be just with me. Um, but I do think um, that, I, that I do a good job of responding when I can, right? So I, I, I respond, and I do get a little back and forth with some of you guys on these things. My gosh, how can I not find it? Doug, thanks for doing the text feature. Love it. Um, man, okay, hold on. You're not going to know it. I'm going to pause it. Hold on. Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> See, a professional, I don't have to say when I'm, I can just pause it without saying that I'm pausing it and you'll think I'm smart. Text message, I was going to say, usually I say like I have your Twitter handle or I have your name in an email, but when I get the text from you guys, it's just your phone number pops up. So I was thinking I would just read people's phone numbers into, uh, in, out into the world, but like, of course, I'm not going to do that. So um, here's, a, here's a great question. The Buckeyes seem to have a lot of five-star and high four-star recruits who aren't popping. They don't develop into standouts and sometimes don't even start. This seemed to be true last season, and I haven't heard yet about any young five-stars jumping to the front at spring practice outside of Justin Fields. Is this, phenomena, is this a phenomenon or my imagination? If true, what is the cause? Love the podcast. And he actually does give his name, um, so I won't read his phone number. That's from Andy. That's from Andy in North Carolina, and I looked this up because I thought it was such an interesting thing. I've written and talked. We all have. Everyone's written and talked about it. It's not genius by me. 
about the 2017 and 2018 recruiting classes, both ranked number two in the nation. That's where we are. That's where this, what this roster is about right now. Um, that's okay. It's like when you think about the 2016 class, for instance, and this is why we're on to 2017 and 2018, none of those guys could leave yet. Like Trayvon Grimes transferred. But when you think about the 2016 class, it's like, well, the best guys from 2016, like some of them are already gone. Like Nick Bose is already gone. He's the number one guy in that class, right? So Dwayne Haskins is already gone, right? He was a top 100 guy in that class. So yes, Jonathan Cooper and Demario McCall and Austin Mack and Ben Victor, who are all top 100 recruits in that class. Keandre Jones is gone. Jake Hausman hasn't done anything. Michael Jordan is gone. Jordan Fuller's still around. Tyler Gerald's gone. So just let me read this, and I'm going to back into my point, okay? Um if 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 I back into my point, I apologize. But here's here's my point. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen top two hundred guys in the class of twenty sixteen. I apologize for counting out loud, but I think it's worth it for recruiting class talk. This I think is the most fun recruiting talk because a lot of the recruiting talk when you're talking about guys coming in, sometimes you talk about guys who who either don't end up here or they get here and it takes a while to figure it out. But I love looking backwards at recruiting and then talking about the current roster in terms of recruiting classes and recruiting rankings. Because I think everyone loves to see – it's like old takes exposed, right? Like you look back, who was wrong, who was right? What were what were the recruiting rankings that were wrong and that were right? And every you know we're not here to call out five stars who didn't make it. Everyone tries their best, but everyone loves to talk loves to talk about two stars that did make it. So I will say that's fourteen guys in the top two hundred from the class of twenty sixteen. Here's who's gone: Bosa, NFL; Haskins, NFL; Keandre Jones, transfer. So that's two NFL, one transfer. Uh, Michael Jordan, NFL. It's three NFL. Jordan Fuller still here. Malcolm Pridgen was a junior college guy, so he's just done. He's done. Tyler Gerald transfer. Antonio Williams transfer. Okay. So of those 14 guys in the top 200, um, eight of them are gone. So this team is not about the 2016 recruiting class. Because the three, three of the best guys, Michael Jordan, Nick Bosa, and Dwayne Haskins are gone. And, and a lot of other guys have already left. So, yes, like Luke Farrell and Jordan Fuller and um, Ben Victor and Austin Mack and Demario McCall and Jonathan Cooper can be important to this team. But really, when we have a question about this, we're, we're sort of past the 2016 team. You know, the, the, whether this team makes the college football playoff or not is not going to be dependent on the class of 2016, all these guys who are in their fourth years, Right. It's going to be dependent on the class of 2017 and 2018. And that's why this is so interesting because we are at a point that 2016 class was best in the Big Ten, but it was fourth in the nation. It had a Bosa at the top, which really helped. But this 17 and 18 class is, a, is deep in eliteness. Is that a – it's elite in its deepness and deep in its eliteness. Um, because I was talking top 200 guys before. Now we're talking top 100 guys. Class of 2017, 11 guys in the top 100. So you think about the top 100 recruits in the whole country. 
11 of them came to Ohio State. That's only 89 guys for all other 129 teams. So that's how good that was. 2018, 13 of the top 100. That's ridiculous. How many top 100 guys? So have they developed? Going back to the question from Andy from North Carolina. So let's look at this and, and let's, let's really think about this because probably the number one thing that's, that makes you a great team, so you have to recruit, right? And then you have to develop um, some under-recruited guys. You have to develop – so Mark D'Antonio turns three-star guys into productive starters. And um, Nick Saban recruits – like a mamma jamma, right? But really, for a place like Ohio State and Alabama too, it's that you recruit at a high level and then you develop. That's why they have the developed here slogan at Ohio State that they love to point out because when you develop good recruits, it helps you recruit even better. But it doesn't do you any good to get in a five-star kid who doesn't become a starter. So it's about developing your elite recruits. That really is what winning at the highest level is because if your recruits aren't elite – then maybe you get a ceiling on how good you can be. And if you don't develop the elite recruits, you get a ceiling. So Chase Young, we're going to run through the guys in the 2017 and 2018 classes who are ranked in the top 100. And I don't mean to beat around the bush on this. It's not like I'm trying to stall. I always have too much to talk about. I should shrink down. But I wanted to build a foundation for this discussion. If there is a perception about there, out there about not developing their very best guys, like, is it true and if it is true so far, could it change this season? Because now we're at a point where the determining guys, the guys who will determine if they're a playoff team, are guys from two recruiting classes that were both number two in the nation. This is the season you've been waiting for. Chase Young, top guy, number seven overall in the class of 17, developed. Okay? Yes, developed. Jeffrey Okuda. Number eight guy in the class of 2017, developed. Baron Browning, number 11, not developed. And, and I'm not here, I'm, we're not assigning, and blame's not even the right word, but it's like, why hasn't that happened? Well, you guys know that I don't think Bill Davis did a great job here. I think they haven't found the best way to use Baron Browning yet. But considering he was the number 11 player in the country coming out of high school, no, he hasn't developed yet. Sean Wade, it is easy, I think, sometimes to forget that Sean Wade was the number 17 overall player in the country. He got hurt his first year and didn't play. Then last year as a redshirt freshman, he, he fell into a very important role for this team as a slot corner. He's on the field a lot from the practice we saw as that slot corner again. It feels like they're going to be possibly in a fair amount of situations where they might be going three down linemen, three linebackers, three corners, two safeties. I think that's a look that we could see. I was very concerned about like trying to put the bullet on a slot guy. But then when we saw last time we saw practice, they had Sean Wade out. Sean Wade was out there all the time with Okuda and Arnett. With not not in, you know that's three. Pretty good corners out there together. So I think Sean Wade, considering he's only had one healthy year here, and in that first year he was very important. And again, I talked about last week about rewatching that Purdue game, and there were some plays where Rondale Moore uh, smoked Sean Wade, who had Rondale Moore most of that game. And no Rondale Moore was a true freshman. But again, Sean Wade, it was his first year too. 
So I think Sean Wade still has a high ceiling here. I think I think you would say Sean Wade has developed, and I think you can expect even more. So Sean Wade, has he developed? Yes. Wyatt Davis, number 24 in that class nationally. Has he developed? Took over as a starter last year when there was an injury and they needed him. Might be, if I had to guess right now, I think Wyatt Davis is going to be the best player on that offensive line this year. It's no offense to Thayer Munford. I think that's where Wyatt Davis is. I think, yes, Wyatt Davis has developed. Trayvon Grimes, he's a transfer. Okay, so he's out. J.K. Dobbins comes in, runs for 181 yards, his very first game of college. Has J.K. Dobbins developed? Yes. J.K. Dobbins, who was the number 46 player in that class, has developed. Josh Myers, number 53 in that class. Has he developed? In year three, they're making him the starting center. He was a guy in high school who was a tackle in an offense that never threw the ball. So he got here as a run-blocking tackle. He now has to become a pass-protecting center. It took him two years to do that, but that's not behind. If you're a lineman who is starting for the first time in year three, you are not behind. So that is, there is no problem with his development. He is on track. I say yes, Josh Myers has developed. As long as Josh Myers like holds down this starting center job and is and is not like a a black hole in the middle of the line that causes problems and I have, there's no reason to expect that he will be. Yes, Josh Myers then would have developed. Tate Mar- Tate Martell, excuse me. Transfer. Was coming along, transfer. Isaiah Pryor started last year, wasn't great. Um, in the mix now is a deep safety while Jordan Fuller is out. We're not sure how that's going to look. It feels like maybe he's falling behind some other guys. So I, I don't think when Isaiah Pryor starts in his second year on campus like he did last year, you know, that's not a failure. He wasn't great, right? We'll put some of that on Alex Grinch and Greg Schiano too, but he bears some of that load. So I, I'm going to put a question mark instead of a star on my pad, but I don't think that's a failure. I just think maybe – Iffy, okay? Haskell Garrett, defensive line. He's in the mix. He's a third-year guy. Okay. Not great. Um, okay. So I, I think maybe a question mark there. Uh, Kendall Sheffield um, was a junior college guy. It's always a little bit hard to rank those guys, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So I only did a high school guy, so I didn't count Kendall Sheffield there. So class of 2017, they had 11 guys out of high school who were ranked in the top 100. And I gave one, two, three, four. I'd say six of those 11 clearly have developed at a pretty good pace. Two of the 11 transferred and three are question marks. Baron Browning, Isaiah Pryor, and Haskell Garrett. But I think in going into their third seasons, Chase Young, Jeffrey Okuda, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, J.K. Dobbins, and Josh Myers, all of whom are starting, all of whom are playing important roles, all of whom I think have the ability to not just be starters in the Big Ten, but very good starters in the Big Ten, I think they're there. So I think if you're 6 of 11, 2 transferred, and 3 question marks, I think that's a decent conversion rate. So I think, Andy, if your question is, did they develop these elite 5-stars and 4-star guys in the class of 2017? I'd say yes. And I think I'd, I'd love to like run down that list with a coach, but I think we're with Mark Pantone, but I think they would say yes. Now we get to 2018, and this is harder to do because these guys haven't played, and and this 2018 class is going to be important, but obviously they're going to lean on these 2017 guys. So this is a little iffier, 
but we're, we'll talk about in terms of development, we're talking about on track, on track. Are they on track? Are they, are they looking like, okay, well, this guy came in highly touted. This is only their second year on campus. Does it seem like they might give you something? And I talked about this before. Again, if my memory is correct, I talked about this before because I asked Ryan Day about it. They got to get something from some of these 18 guys. Nicholas Petit Frere, in the battle at right tackle, I think he's going to win it. They're trying to put weight on him. Brandon Bowen is playing left and right side. It feels like Josh Allaby, to me, is just setting up more to be fair. Munford's backup uh, in case there are any health issues with Thayer Munford. You want a veteran back up there. So then it feels like to me that Bowen um, is the real competition. If it's a three-man competition at right tackle with Nicholas petit Frere, Brandon Bowen, and Josh Allaby. Josh Allaby's had the flu for a couple days. Um, hasn't been in as much of the thick of the battle. Brandon Bowen, Greg Stradrawa said, still has some soreness in his leg from the broken leg from two years ago. And then he sort of had to have a – it wasn't a completely smooth um, recovery from that broken leg taking a little longer than expected. When those are your two veteran guys, and then the other guy is a guy who was the number seven recruit in the whole country, I just think Nicholas petit Frere is going to win that. The way things have emerged, the way Greg Stadrawa talked about um, being very happy with the development of Nicholas petit Frere and Josh Myers this spring. And if Nicholas petit Frere is a true sophomore, is he was a true freshman. He was the, the number two tackle last year. He was on your two deep as a true freshman. If he starts as a true sophomore, yes. I'm going to give him a star for having developed. Teron Vincent, number 20 player in the class of 2018, had a role as a pass rushing third down defensive tackle last year when they went three defensive linemen on third down. Uh, He's clearly in the mix to help on the defensive line. Um, Yes, I think he's on track. I'm going to get into Tyreek Johnson a little bit more later because we got a specific question about him. But I will say he's in the two deep. Right now, when you look at the at the outside corners, they're in a pretty good spot. The outside starting corners clearly are Jeffrey Okuda and Damon Arnett. Sean Wade is your starting slot corner. Then behind Arnett and Okuda are Seven Banks and Tyreek Johnson. And I wrote last year's Seven Banks was one of the guys in bowl practice that really popped. Tyreek Johnson, he's the number 21 player nationally in the class of 2018. He's on your two deep. I think he's in line to start in... 2020. So I, I think you maybe could give him a question mark, but again, in year two, he's in your two deep. I think he's on track. Jalen Gill, redshirted last year. Looks like the number two H back right now. I can't tell how much they're messing around with, with CJ Saunders getting real playing time behind KJ Hill. I think Jalen Gill's on track. Tyreek Smith, defensive end, number 34 player in the country. He's in the mix. He played some as a true freshman at defensive end, now he's ready for the next step. The way Chase Young played some as a true freshman, played much more as a sophomore. I think Ty- Tyreek Smith is going to be really important to this team. I think he's going to be second on this team in sacks. Yes, Tyreek Smith is on track to be developed the right way. Jeremy Rucker, we've talked about that. They're talking about playing him at H some. I think they're going to throw to him more. Ryan Day talked about that more on Monday. They're going to throw to him, I think, in a, in a more developed way than they've thrown to the tight end in the past. I think, I think this is it's funny to talk about, but I think they just view the tight end as specifically a guy who's 6'5". They view it a little differently. Jeremy Ruckert developing. Yes, I think Jeremy Ruckert has developed. Tarada Mitchell ran with the ones when we saw practice last because Baron Browning and Tuff Borland were both out. Looked ready. 
Does that mean Toronto Mitchell's going to start in his second year on campus? Probably not because of the guys ahead of him, but I think he could, and I think he will push to play in situations. I think it's possible that he starts. I'd be super psyched if he starts. His Toronto Mitchell developing? Yes, Toronto Mitchell's developing. Tommy Togiai, number 55 in that class, 2018. Is he developing? He's in the mix. They love him. They love him inside as one of these guys in the mix with Devon Hamilton and B.B. Landers at nose tackle. Yes, Tommy Togiai is developing. Matthew Jones, interior offensive lineman. Again, it's only year two. Um, I think he's a question mark, and that's fine that he's a question mark. You don't want Matthew Jones to have to be your answer, right? You want Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers and Jonah Jackson and maybe Brandon Bowen at guard, some other guys to be your answers there. Everyone's very high on Harry Miller. We'll talk a little more about Harry Miller. Um, but I think Matthew Jones is a question mark, but it's okay that he's a question mark. Josh Proctor, number 71. Love him. I'm a Josh Proctor fan. Lots of people are Josh Proctor fans. Deep safety, he's getting a look there. He's going to matter. I don't know. Is there a room for him to start this year? I don't know. But next year, when Jordan Fuller's gone, is Josh Proctor going to be your best deep safety? Yeah, I think he is. Um, is Josh Proctor on track? Yes, Josh Proctor's on track. Cameron Babb, hurt. Two tough injuries. He's a question mark that is only an injury question mark. And that happens to guys, but that is not a knock on Ohio State. That's just reality. Brian Sneed transferred. Sometimes it happens. Tyler Friday. When you look at them and their defensive ends, it is a clear delineation. Your starting defensive ends are Jonathan Cooper and Chase Young. Your backup defensive ends, no doubt about it, are two guys in the top 100 from the class of 2018. It's Tyler Friday and Tyreek Smith. If Tyler Friday, in a world where Larry Johnson likes to rotate guys, and Tyler Friday is in the too deep at defensive end, is he being developed? Yes, that's development. That's Tyler Friday in a position to play and help this team in his second year on campus. So, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. That's 13 guys in the top 100, which is what Andy's talking about. How many did I deem developed? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Brian Sneed transferred. 10 are developed. Matthew Jones is a question mark because he's a lineman. Cameron Babb's a question mark because he's hurt. I think they're on track. Now, we're going to... This is a, you know, I, I thought the 2017 classes, I, I hyped them up a year ago, they fell short. Much was expected of them. Them falling short is part of why the team fell short, even though it only lost one game, right? Other factors there, but that was part of it. If you if you give me a list of like what happened, maybe I'll do that. It'd be a, is it too late for a postmortem on 2018? But it's like if you give a list of like the 10 reasons the Ohio State did not make the playoff um, last year. You know, you'd throw a lot of stuff in there. You'd throw in the defensive coaching would probably be very high. I said all year, I thought across the board talent-wise, they were a half step short on some uh, situations. That would be high. Um, but, I, but I think the class of 2017 not popping to the degree that I thought they would, that Chase Young wasn't an All-American. Jeffrey Okuda wasn't an All-American. J.K. Dobbins wasn't an All-American. They had some good moments. Were they consistently All-American quality players from week one to week 12? No, that's in that mix. You don't need All-Americans from the class of 2018 this year. Guys who are in the same spot, you do need it from the class of 2017. When you look at this, and if we're talking those 24 guys, top 100 players, 
Class of 2018 and 2017. Of the 24, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 of the 24 are on track in their development, in my opinion. Three are transfers. I think if that proves to be true, I think this team can make the playoff. Great question from Andy. We're going to get back to more questions from our text message folks, more questions from our friends on Twitter when we come back on Buckeye Talk right after I take a sip of Diet Coke. Okay, we're going to run through some more of the uh, excellent text message questions. Uh, I said I had teased that we had one about uh, Tyreek Johnson, right? So let me see where that is. Man, why didn't I do this before I started talking? Um, but I think Tyreek Johnson is an interesting guy because, uh, as this question is going to get to the point of, we haven't like heard a ton with him. I've been wondering a while... Tyreek Johnson was a five-star recruit, top 20 in the nation. We've heard at least some about all the other top 50 or so. Sort of like, what's up with him, right? Um, where do things stand uh, with Johnson? So I think um, I think if Damon Arnett had gone pro, at the end of last year, I, I you didn't know exactly for sure, but I thought for sure one or the other of Sheffield and Arnett would leave. Um, and I definitely thought both could leave. And Damon Arnett has basically said he he thought very strongly about leaving. Kendall Sheffield did. So if Damon Arnett had left, I think we would be seeing a a knockdown drag out competition um, for the for the to starting outside corner spot opposite Jeffrey Okuda between Seven Banks and Tyreek Johnson. And I think they both would be ready for that. And so again, sort of the idea of as we run down um, a lot of these guys, you know, the the top. 100 Guys Matter, Seven Banks was number 221 nationally in the class of, of 2018. And he just seemed to get a little more run in terms of guys talking about him in bowl practice and in the offseason. And I'm putting a lot of stock in what guys said about Seven Banks in the offseason. But they both fit sort of this longer corner idea. Seven Banks came in at 6'1", 180. Tyreek Johnson came in at 6'1", 191. They're, they're, this, they're the prototypical cornerback. This I mean this is this is what you're looking for. So I I think Tyreek Johnson is like right there. Um and it just so happens that uh you know in a world where Damon Arnett returned, Jeffrey Okuda's uh starting as a third year junior, um certainly both those guys Arnett's gonna be gone. Okuda could go pro and then you need seven banks and Tyreek Johnson ready to start next year assuming Sean Wade stays as more of a nickel corner safety guy instead of an outside cornerback. He certainly could play outside corner. But, um, you know, I, I, so I, I think, like, asking about Tyreek Johnson is really interesting. But I think part of the good thing about this team is that Tyreek Johnson is the number 21 national recruit in the class of 2018, and, and they don't need him to start right now. There's almost, I mean, there's not room for him. And that's what you want. You want to be so good and so deep that you have a second-year guy who was a top 21 national recruit, and there's no room for him. And that's where they are at corner. Arnett was not great last year. I don't think Arnett was great. Um, Sheffield and Okuda both played well in the Rose Bowl. Arnett, we talked about it last week, um, blew some run game assignments that led to big plays. Handsy, a lot of unnecessary pass interference penalties. Got beat sometimes. I did not think was great. So... You know what? Maybe maybe Tyreek Johnson or Seven Banks shows you something in 
preseason camp in August that puts Damon Arnett on second team. I don't think that's going to happen, and people have said good things about Damon Arnett, and, and Damon Arnett's a capable player. But um, I, you know, I wouldn't be worried or down about Tyreek Johnson. That's good depth. If that's, if that's your second team is two second-year guys who look ready to play as third-year guys, that's who should be your backups. Um, so I think they're in good shot, a uh, good, good, a good spot with that. Interesting question. Hi, Doug. Random offseason question: Has anyone ever interviewed Corey Dennis? I would love to pick the brain of a guy who marries Urban's daughter and then is on the staff during both the Zach Smith stuff and Urban deciding to retire. Maybe he wouldn't be that forthcoming, but I feel as though he was uh, in a couple of seriously awkward situations over the past year. Or so just a thought. Thanks. Um, a couple years ago, I guess it would have been 17 season probably, I asked about getting Corey Dennis and doing a Corey Dennis story. And I, I think I mentioned it to Corey personally and then asked the sports information staff about it and like it, it didn't happen. And I think I, – I don't know that they said no. I think it was like a not now and then I never revisited it. Um, I'm fascinated by this stuff. Again, if you guys don't know exactly the story of Corey Dennis, he is um, – not a full-time assistant, but he has become a guy that they talk about a lot. Dwayne Haskins talked about a lot, um, that he was sort of the the grad assistant or assistant staffer in the quarterback room, that when Ryan Day is the quarterback's coach, but he's also running the whole offense, then you need guys behind the assistant who can do hands-on stuff. Corey Dennis has also worked with receivers here, but he's with the quarterbacks a lot right now. He's talking with Justin Fields a lot. Corey Dennis plays an important role on this team. He played football at Georgia Tech. He was a receiver at Georgia Tech. That's where he met Nikki Meyer, who is Urban and Shelly Meyer's oldest child. Nikki played volleyball at Georgia Tech. They meet there. They fall in love. They get engaged. They get married. They move to Columbus. They've now had two children here. And Corey Dennis gets a job from his father-in-law. And I would like to do something in the Big Ten. Um, you know, Iowa's offensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz, is Kirk Ferentz's son. Um, you know, this is this is not an unusual thing in in life for people in positions of power to hire their family, and it uh, applies to sports coaching as much as it applies to any other walk of life. Um, so, Urban Meyer has. Two older daughters and then a son, Nate, who's in college playing baseball at Cincinnati right now. But Corey Dennis entered the Meyer family and and got a really good job. And so I'll, I'm curious, you know, where Corey Dennis's career is going to lead. He is really young. He is really young to be playing an important role in this team. But he is not a full-time assistant. And um, at the moment, you know, he he's done – the way they talk about him is he's done something with his career here that he, he does meaningful things for them. So, excuse me. Uh, clearly, he got his job because he married Urban's daughter. I mean, of course. Um, but he has now proven his value. Uh, and I'm curious to see where he goes from here. Uh, will he maybe end up in a situation um, where... He, he gets a job like in the urban tree. Does he get a job as like a an assist? Is he the receivers coach at Boston College or something for Steve Adazio? Does he wind up with somebody where it's like he's too young, he's not ready to be a full time assistant at Ohio State? That would be too much. Um, but would he jump somewhere else? And it's just interesting, you know, it, um, the coaching life can be very rewarding, but it's also can be very difficult. And, and Nikki Meyer has been very vocal. She was very vocal during the Zach Smith situation. She's been very vocal um, 
I've seen her have some correspondence with John Calipari's daughter, who is uh, very outspoken on Twitter at times about uh, what it's like to be the child of a high-profile head coach who gets criticized a lot. Um, they make an awful lot of money. So uh, the public spotlight and the critical eye and the sometimes maybe unfairly cri un cr uh, critical eye comes with that. But they are certainly handsomely compensated um, for that life in the spotlight. And there's a lot of great things about that life in the spotlight. And, and Nikki Meyer wound up um, choosing to live her life with a guy who now has gotten into the coaching profession. So they, they've made a big deal about um, them being in Columbus, them being around um, with Urban and Shelly Meyer, and so it will be a very interesting situation uh, as Corey Dennis continues in his career, what he and, and Nikki decide, um, how they want to uh, approach this career. And, and it, you know, you, you see coaches, coaches bounce around. You don't stay in one spot. So, you know, if, if, if Corey Dennis desires to do this at a high level, he can't stay in Columbus. He, he's not going to move from... Um, you know, a staffer to assistant coach at Columbus in, in at Ohio State in Columbus and just have that be his career for 25 years. So um, I'm curious to see where that happens, but it is interesting. Um, I would love to talk to Corey about it. And I like when you guys remind me of things that, uh, that I should do. So I will try, um, I will put Corey on my radar, but, but Dwayne Haskins has said a lot of very good things about Corey Dennis. Justin Fields has talked about Corey Dennis uh, and the help he has given him. Um, so I do think uh, clearly he's he has proven to be a value uh, here at Ohio State. Another text question. Going into your 14th spring ball, is that right? So I started in 05, but I started in the fall. So spring of 06, so 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Guess what I'm doing? Counting my fingers. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Yes, my 14th spring football. How would you judge the coaching staff competence factor compared to other years? It's a high-priced group. Do they seem to be a group? And again, um, Alabama just paid their assistants a bunch, so I think Ohio State's second in their assistant salaries. Do they seem to be a group that has a decided edge with one scheme, two motivating players, three in-game adjustments, four genuineness towards players recruits, five ruthlessness to go for the win versus other coaching staffs in previous years and other coaching staffs in the Big Ten? Um, what's your experienced, wise, and profound gut telling you? So this actually came up. Uh, again, I missed, because uh, I do do things outside Ohio State, I missed Ohio State interviews on Monday because I went to, uh, we had a breakfast in Cleveland where we talked to uh, Indians fans and we have a breakfast talking about the Indians. Then I went to the Odell Beckham news conference and the first day of off-season workouts for the Browns. Then I went to the Indians home opener. So uh, we had Ryan Day and Greg Stadrawa, an offensive lineman on Monday, and Steven was there, but I was not. But I did watch what some people said. And I know Tim May, our old friend from the dispatch, who's now doing some other stuff, was talking to Greg Sudrawa about the idea of uh, how many one-time offensive coordinators are on this staff. That, that you know, you have Ryan Day as the head coach, who's an offensive guy. You have Kevin Wilson, who's a, uh, built his resume as an offensive guy, was a very highly uh, respected offensive uh, coordinator. At Northwestern in Oklahoma, that's how he got the Indiana head coaching job. Now he's come here, and when he first got here, it was a big deal. And then Ryan Day got here the year after him, and then Ryan Day clearly surpassed him because Kevin Wilson's not the head coach right now. Ryan Day is. But Kevin Wilson is a guy, uh, as a co-offensive coordinator, who knows a lot about coordinating offense. Mike Yersich did that for a long time at Ohio State, uh, excuse me, at Oklahoma State, and now is brought in here as a co-offensive coordinator under an offensive head coach, a guy 
who was very influential in the play calling at Oklahoma State. Greg Studrawa has been an offensive coordinator at times, um, has been a lot of high-profile places like LSU and Maryland. Um, so they do have a lot of guys offensively that you would probably look at this staff and, and say that it's pretty good. And it was funny. I mean, again, it's just I, 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 I don't get – what's the word? Like it doesn't – it just makes me sort of giggle that – just the and it's just the way life is. But what makes me giggle is when people just accept it, right, and just don't question things. So Greg Studrow was talking about like, hey, yeah, there's all these offensive guys. We all used to be coordinators, and yeah, I've been in situations where there was one guy saying like, this is the way it's going to be, and it wasn't collaborative, and that was terrible. But now, you know, we have all these guys who have all these great experiences and have had more important jobs in the past, who have lesser jobs at Ohio State. But this is great. Of course, the thing that you're doing right now is great, but I have all these examples in the past of when it was not great. And it's like, is it great to have like four offensive coordinators? I don't know. Like, do you think everybody's thrilled that Ryan Day, who was like their colleague, is now their boss? Has anybody out there listening to this been in a situation where you have a guy who at one time is on the same level as you, or maybe even this? There's a guy, you have your job, a new guy comes in with less experience, and he's sort of a little bit behind you, then all of a sudden he's on the same level as you. Now all of a sudden he's sort of getting more attention than you, and then all of a sudden a promotion comes along and he gets it and you don't. And like, that's awesome. Like it's just, it's perfect, it's ideal, it's wonderful, everybody's best friends. I'm not saying there's conflict, but I'm saying like, you know, Kevin Wilson was here. Kevin Wilson was the guy brought in to save this offense. Right, Kevin Wilson was the guy brought in to try to fix what was going wrong um, as Ed Warner and Tim Beck sort of drove this offense into the ground. And then Ryan Day came in a year after him, and now Ryan Day is the guy who fixed it and got the head job. So I, I think their offensive coaching staff probably is pretty good. I think Hartline is an up-and-comer. I wasn't sure about that. I think you know they just sort of gave him that job. Without looking outside, again, I said, well, you can't just promote Corey Dennis. Like, Brian Hartline just got promoted, you know, just moved right into to a job like that. Again, he had great experience um, being a, a, an Ohio State player and an NFL player. Um, but he – that turned very quickly. But it seems like you look at the production of the receivers. Um, you look at some of the recruiting inroads he's made with some of the receivers they have um, signed up for 2020. Brian Hartline seems like a good offensive coach. Tony Alford, I think, is a good offensive coach. I think that's established. I think Tony Alford does a good job with his running backs. Um, Tony Alford has a very, very tight relationship, I think, with his players. I think Mike Weber had a great relationship with Tony Alford. J.K. Dobbins and Tony Alford clearly had a very, very, very tight relationship, um, which is really important. And I think um, Tony Alford does a good job coaching those guys. So I think Tony Alford's good. Um, Greg Sadrawa, I think, is fine. Um, could you get somebody better? Yeah, I think you could. Is he awful? No, I don't think he's awful. I was talking about this. So I'll talk, I was talking about with Landis um, the other day. We were just sort of talking about, you know, I know he wrote a, he wrote a story about Greg Sadrawa. We were just sort of talking about, like, Greg Sadrawa. I thought maybe he wouldn't be back. I didn't think his recruiting has been great. I don't think he's terrible, but I think he's okay. And I think he pales in comparison when you look at Ed Warner um, and how good – Ed Warner was as a developer of talent and the way, and then we, I know we have a question about this also. And so I don't think Greg Straw was quite as good as that. I think they probably maybe could do better, um, but I think he's fine. Um, 
Mike Yurcich, I think is good. Like, I think we need to see it a little bit. Um, I think, I think I'm reserving judgment on Mike Yurcich a little bit. I think people were flying high when he got here. Um, sort of a meteoric rise from small school stuff to doing it, I think, at Oklahoma State, I think for six years um, and really help on that offense. But this is kind of a next level thing here. So um, it, just like Urban, just like Ryan Day has to get a little bit out of Urban Meyer's shadow, I think Mike Yurcich has to get out of Ryan Day's shadow. It's like Ryan Day can't be the quarterback's coach. And Mike Yurcich is going to have to take enough off of Ryan Day's plate in terms of coordinator stuff to let Ryan Day be a coach of the whole team. I think that is something that we need to see a little bit, how that develops. But yes, Ryan Day is going to call the plays, and that's fine. That's great. But I think we need to make sure that like Mike Yurcich is not just like letting Ryan Day be the de facto quarterback's coach when it's Mike Yurcich's job. I think, I think we have to wait and see a little bit on that. But I think I, I think people got a little hyped up. I mean, some people were really fired up about this Ohio State uh, coaching staff, like with Shiano and and Kevin Wilson. It's like two former head coaches and whatever. And then like you saw that coaching staff last year wasn't great. So not in every aspect. So I think the offensive coaches are good. I think they're a more innovative group than we saw through most of the Trestle era. I don't know. Um, I mean, Tom Herman was really good. I don't think anybody on this staff is as good an assistant coach as Tom Herman was as a recruiter um, and as a play caller. Um, I think Ryan Day was like in that area, but now Ryan Day is a head coach. So uh, I think I think they're a little short there. So I don't think they're as good. I don't think they're as good as like the national championship year. And we'll slide to defense really quickly. It's like I'm not, you know, Madison, whatever. You guys know what I think about Madison. I have a lot of questions about that. Al Washington, I'm excited to have a young guy. Um, on the staff with a little energy. People seem to, I've heard people compare Al Washington to Luke Fickle and sort of the way he brings some energy. I like Jeff Halfley. Um, Matt Barnes, I think, is whatever. Um, someone's got to be the lowest paid guy on the staff, and it's Matt Barnes. I think they got to the point. They said, listen, like, we can't be paying 10 different assistants $700,000 a year. Someone's got to make three something. So they hired Matt Barnes. No offense to him, it's what he makes. Um, and Larry Johnson's a legend. So, I, I don't think it's as good as 2014. When you think about 2014, you think about Kerry Combs, you think about Luke Fickle, you think about Chris Ash, you think about Larry Johnson. That is a great defensive staff, as it turns out. And offensively, you think about Ed Warner coaching that offensive line, not being asked to call plays, just coaching the offensive line. You think about Tom Herman. You think about Stan Drayton. Zach Smith was not good um, then. Um, but but I think that's I think that's a better staff. I don't think this staff is to that level, um, but I think it's decent. I think Halfley is a key if he turns out to be like yeah this guy is the goods. What we thought Alex gonna, Alex Grinch was going to flash last year, and then again people could love Alex Grinch. He didn't show it to me, but I think in general, I thought uh, under. Jim Tressel, I think there was some staleness. They had a lot of continuity, and it's one of those things. Continuity can be good, and then continuity can turn into staleness very quickly if you're not careful. Um, I think we saw that when Jim Tressel left and they cut off the head of the snake. The offensive staff didn't really know what to do. Um, so I think that offensive staff was not great uh, under Jim Tressel. It was guys that Jim Tressel knew, but I don't think it was great. I think like Luke Fickle and Jim Haycock were good. Um, but I don't think those staffs were as good as – that 14 staff for Ohio State I think is the gold standard. I don't think this staff is there. And I, I don't think they're going to get there. I'm going to say, well, if they do this and they do that, I think they could get there. I just I don't think they will. I don't think they'll get to 
um, what Ash Combs, Fickle, and Johnson were like together and what Herman and Warner were when they were both um, at their position, um, you know. The co-offensive coordinators where Herman's calling the plays and Warner's in charge of the offensive line, that's a good group. They're going to be a step short of that. That's a good question about the coaching staff. I hope you guys got a sense of of what my experienced, wise, and profound gut is telling me about that uh, that offensive staff. This is a good question I don't have an answer to, but it's one that I'll, I'll mark down. Um, he's not here yet. So, again, next week we're going to preview the spring game. But then once the spring game's over, you know, we're going to be looking for stuff to talk about. We always find it, though. We always find it. Hey, Doug, looking forward to the pod. was wondering if you have seen any tape on Jonah Jackson. How do you think he'll match with the rest of the projected line? Does anything about his play pop on the screen to you? More of an elite athlete or just a power mauler type guy? Uh, I was also wondering if you guys had thoughts on ice cream versus frozen yogurt. So, I have not watched Jonah Jackson on film. Uh, the, Greg, the way Greg Studrawa talked, they're clearly anticipating him being the starter at left guard. He can be, play center. He can play guard. They are Wyatt Davis is going to be the right guard, and Josh Myers is going to be the center. And and I think the left guard is going to be Jonah Jackson, assuming he's ready. He's been like an honorable mention All Big Ten guy at Rutgers. They they've seen him play. Greg Studrawa was talking about the way he blocked Ohio State guys when they played. Um, so it's you're not really wondering about Jonah Jackson. I don't know exactly what he's all about. Um, but I do think it's possible, you know, Brandon Bowen could fit in there. I know Brandon Bowen's working at both tackle spots, but I really think if you figure out that, yes, Munford's a left tackle when he's healthy. There's no doubt about that. And if Petit Frere wins the right tackle job, Brandon Bowen, I think if he's healthy, is is a starting quality player. So then I think if for some reason something goes south with Jonah Jackson or he just doesn't seem like he's getting it or he doesn't fit what they're trying to do, I think Bowen would be a possibility at that guard spot as well. So, um, but, I, but it's worth digging in on later. It's worth digging in on later, and we'll try to do that. Um, and as far as ice cream versus frozen yogurt, uh, I like the frozen yogurt. I like the uh, frozen yogurt places now where you get to control how much you want. You go in if you only want a little shot. Here's the thing. When you guys go to the frozen yogurt places, you all get too much. It breaks my heart. I see young people. I'll see somebody, a teenager, say a 19-year-old, goes in and gets some frozen yogurt. They're a freshman in college. They're home on break. Maybe they're there with their friend, and they are just filling that cup. They fill that cup so high, and they go to check out, and their frozen yogurt's like $8.14. A, you don't need that much frozen yogurt, and B, if you're not going to eat it, now you just wasted your money. You've got to go light on the frozen yogurt. The best thing about the frozen yogurt is you get the toppings on there, and you get the mix-ins and stuff, right? You get that little that little selection bar of all the stuff you can put on top. But it's you control it, and then you control the price. So you can go in and get a little shot of a snack. You can get a dollar seventy-five worth of frozen yogurt. Please yourself. Give yourself that little sugar shot, right? Get your fix without spending eight bucks. So just be smart, people. Don't overindulge. Don't let the frozen yogurt people take advantage of you. Make the frozen yogurt work for you. So um, I like that. I like that aspect of the frozen yogurt. Um, I also like soft ice cream. I also like hard ice cream. But I think the hard ice cream, you've got to go to somewhere good. Like you always got to be like at the like a UDF kind of place or like a, a, a convenience mart kind of ice cream. I think you've got to watch out for like the fr- the freezer crystals when it's old. Um, I think you've got to be careful of that. Um, but I do think um, I do think the frozen yogurt is is the best option as long as you don't let the frozen yogurt place take advantage of you. Woo! 
I wrote a thing about, I, I, I tweeted a thing, and I texted a thing to our text people about uh, some, some Dwayne Haskins um, sort of backlash that, that there seems to be. Um, so someone noted that Dwayne Haskins was getting some backlash from Todd Haley as well, which I didn't see. I don't know where Todd Haley is operating. Um, he blew his Browns career, so who knows what he's doing now. But the question, I know it's super early on, but which new coach has impressed the most so far? It could be coaching style, energy, how players react to him, et cetera. Also, what is the motto for the team this year? That's a really good question. I think <clears> – there's <throat> a cough. I think the guy who's probably the most impressive coach so far to me is Halfley. Um, I think he knows what he's doing. And he's really in charge of that back end. They're talking about um, the safeties and corners being in there together, um, being aggressive, getting turnovers. I, th- I think they needed to get after it. I, thought, I think it was a weird year in the secondary. So Larry Johnson's still the best coach, best assistant on the staff. But for new guys, um, I think it's got to be half of it. I don't think it's Madison. I don't think it's Washington. It's not Barnes. And, and again, I think Mike Yersich at the moment is kind of like, you know, in Ryan Day territory. So I think it's Halfley. I think there's a lot there. I, th- I think someone had asked a question, I think, earlier. I think last week, one of the texters had asked about, like, who's going to be the first branch of the Ryan Day coaching tree? And I think it might be Halfley. I don't know if Halfley's going to stay in college. Ryan Day wants to be a college guy. He went to the NFL for two years. He met Halfley when they both coached with the 49ers. Um, but Ryan Day, I think, was a college guy who went to the NFL for a little bit. Halfley was in college, was at Rutgers, was at Pitt, then went to the NFL, was in the NFL for longer. I don't know if he's an NFL guy. So I think that first branch for Halfley might not be that he goes from this to college head coach. I think he might go from this to NFL defensive coordinator. Um, That's what I would be on the lookout for him with. But I think that will be a guy who could branch off the most quickly. Um, And then, again, like I think Brian Hartline, again, is Brian Hartline going to go – is Brian Hartline going to go be – an offensive coordinator in college? Or would Brian Hartline go coach receivers in the NFL? I think that. I think Brian Hartline might be more likely to go coach receivers in the NFL and be a branch that way. So, like, who was the guy on the staff who would be the next head coach? Um, I think that's a difficult question. I think that's a difficult question, and I think I might say Tony Alford um, if I had to answer that. Kevin Wilson clearly would, but it's like Kevin Wilson wouldn't count, and Tony Alford wouldn't either. That, they're not really on... Can you be the branch of someone's tree if you were here before the tree was there? Like they they were, they've been around the block, so they're really not. It's not that they're not Ryan Day disciples. So um, yeah, but I think I think if you said who's the next head coach off this staff, it might be Tony Alford. What's the motto for this team this year? You know, I, it's funny, and I meant to take pictures of it, and I didn't. But when we were at Pro Day, and you can sort of walk around the field at Pro Day, and maybe go in some areas where you can't go other times. No, actually, it wasn't Pro Day. It was uh, on the Student Appreciation Day, but they have, and I think I talked about these things, they have all these slogans up on the wall, and they're all the Urban Meyer slogans. Four to six A to B, all that kind of stuff. Five seconds of something. Um, so I'm waiting. I don't know a slogan. I don't know, I don't know that I've heard uh, like a, a pithy four-word or five-word um, something so far that I haven't heard before. So... They still have like the chase sign hanging up, um, the edge or whatever it was. But um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think they have one. That's a good question. I'll have to ask. Somebody actually asked a stud question as it relates to Ed Warner, so I will read that. What kind of things do you see or hear that lead you to your opinion on Coach Stud? Not guess disagreeing, just curious. When the O line went 
all year with only two penalties with four new starters in 2014, I knew Ed Warner was the best offensive line coach ever. He was terrible as a coordinator, but would it be a stretch to call him the Larry Johnson of the offensive line? I, I don't know that it is. No, I think Ed Warner's really good at what he does. And again, I've had a little, Ed Warner's had a little beef with me um, since I wrote about sort of his, what I thought were some of his recruiting shortfalls late in his um, tenure at Ohio State when you look at uh, Grant Schmidt and Kevin Felder and a bunch of guys who sort of washed out on the offensive line. Matt Burrell um, and Ed Warner got mad at me about that. But like when I wrote that before the Michigan game last year, it was sort of like my point was I think Ed Warner fell short on recruiting. Ohio State was sort of suffering from that recruiting, but Ed Warner can coach guys up. And so what you're talking about, I mean, what he did with the line in 2013 and 14 and immediately transforming some guys – you know, I think if you look like Isaiah Prince came a long way um, from his sophomore year to his senior year. Um, but did Isaiah Prince like max out on the kind of player he could be under Greg Stadrawa? Like, I don't know. Um, Michael Jordan was a great guard. They moved him to center and he, he was okay as a center. Like, did Greg Stadrawa do the best job with like helping Michael Jordan be a center? Eh. I don't know. Again, they played great in the Michigan game, game, Michigan game last year, but I feel like it took them a little time to come around. Um, so, you know, I, I'm just I'm sitting here saying I feel great about you know Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers and Nicholas Petit Frere and 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 on the on the right side of the line, Thayer Munford shown what he can be at left tackle. They'll figure it out at left guard. I think this offensive line, and I told our texters just a couple days ago, I think this offensive line could be significantly better than the line last year because I think it took until the Michigan game last year for this offensive line to come together. And then, again, and we gave it in the, in, the, in, the, in the moment all credit to those five starters last year um, and to Greg Sudrawa for making that happen in the Michigan game. But I think they have such highly recruited guys. I just question Sudrawa's development of getting the absolute utmost out of some of these guys. And then the second part of that was they got in a pinch with the recruiting on the offensive line in the class of 2018, which is why they went and got a couple guys late. And I, people were criticizing me if I said they reached for Vamahi from Hawaii. Clearly, he's a top 150 guy. It's not a reach talent-wise. It's a reach to me in terms of you need immediate help on the offensive line and you get a guy from Hawaii who might end up going on a mission for two years. It feels like to me he's not going to help this team for three years. And so you were, and Ryan Day is the guy who went to Hawaii and sort of finished that off. So, and then they got Dewan Jones, who's a, a big time athlete, but um, sort of a late developer, I think, on the offensive line. So it's that combination of I don't think he gets the best out of guys to the degree that Warner did. And maybe that's just a, you, you fall short in the comparison to Warner, who I think is as, as good as anybody in college football at that. So, okay. Um, it doesn't mean Greg Stradraw was bad, it means he's not as good as the guy he replaced in terms of that part of the job. And then the recruiting issues of last year, right? So now they've got some more early guys now. They've changed their their recruiting philosophy in Ohio uh, when it as it pertains to offensive linemen. They're taking Ohio guys early, um, and we'll see what happens. But that's where my Stadrawa criticism comes from. It's basically a comparison to Ed Warner as a developer and a look specifically uh, at last year's recruiting class in terms of offensive linemen. Yeah, 
Does Justin Fields seem willing to throw into traffic is a question. My biggest frustration with JT was all the triple pump hesitance. I don't want a turnover machine, but I also don't want a quarterback who is walking on eggshells. Great question. The thing that I've heard so far with Justin Fields, actually, and, and I wrote this thing last year, like I wanted Dwayne Haskins to throw interceptions because I didn't want Dwayne Haskins to be afraid. I even wanted JT Barrett to throw interceptions. And it all stems from the Deshaun Watson season in 2016 when Deshaun Watson threw a lot of picks for Clemson, got criticized for that, but you saw what he did to Ohio State in the playoff and you saw the way he played. Um, I think over that two-year stretch when he didn't win the Heisman, I think he was the most valuable player in college football and you could argue the best player in college football. Um, and yeah, he threw some picks. But it's because he had guys that he believed in that he wasn't afraid to take a shot. And that's how you make big plays. It's hard to make big plays without throwing some picks here and there. So now I, I say that with a but because um, I think actually at the moment there may be a tendency with Justin Fields to throw a few too many interceptions. And so I think that is going to be a fine line for them to walk. You don't want to see... Um, the triple pump, which we all became familiar with, with JT Barrett. But the, if if you're when I'm pro interception, I'm pro interception because I, my assumption is the balance of big play to interception is going to be a, still a pos, a net positive for Ohio State. I don't know where Justin Fields falls on that, and it's just nobody does. But I think possibly early on with Justin Fields. I would rather see him if he pumps, like then pull it in and run. <laughs> that maybe I would be more okay with the pumps um, as he develops in this system. And the problem with JT is that like JT was double pumping as like a junior and a senior. And I feel like JT let it rip more as a freshman, as a redshirt freshman in 2014, I thought he was more confident, less hesitant. And then whatever happened, and again, I, that's where I got a question from somebody about would I take Tim Beck or Bill Davis if I had to take one. And I said, I, I barely, I guess Tim Beck. Um, and I want to talk about this with Tim Beck because I know some people saw um, Cardale Jones and JT Barrett visited Tim Beck at Texas and had a photo with Tim Beck. And JT and Cardale were wearing Texas stuff. But as it, as it pertains to Justin Fields, um, I think maybe he, he might lean toward forcing it. And so I thought with JT, the triple pump bothered me because he was so aware. He really did not turn it over very much. But I thought, I thought that it was kind of a net negative for Ohio State because he was so fearful of turnovers. He, he didn't give himself the chance and the offense the chance at enough big plays. I think Justin Fields might lean toward more turnovers, so I almost would be in favor of a double pump. Pump, think about it, run, learn, and then maybe we'll get to a point with Justin Fields where they can get big plays, a small amount of turnovers, and it'll be a net positive. So I, I don't know, but that's – I don't want a turnover machine, but I don't want a quarterback who's walking on eggshells is the point of the texter. I agree with that, but – I think possibly early on with Justin Fields, and this is just sort of some things I've heard and whatever, um, I think maybe you're a little more fearful of the turnover machine part of that than the walking on eggshells part. So maybe you'd take some eggshells early on. 
<clears throat> can Ryan Day put a quarterback under center? I saw Trevor Lawrence play in the Georgia State Championship game two years ago, and he's miles ahead of Fields. Can't win big without playing at least some pro style. It's coming. I've definitely texted about it. I think I've talked about it. Be ready. It's coming. Pro style, under center stuff is real. Uh, I think you're going to see it. I think you're going to see it. We'll get into it more, but I think you're going to see it. I sent a text that led to a couple different questions about Jeff Halfley uh, wanting his secondary guys to be able to play a bunch of bunch of different positions. Um, and some, and I, and I said I had a little apprehension about that, about in the name of simplifying things, uh, the idea that like, hey, we're teaching all the secondary guys like all these different secondary roles. I can see like a year from now. Everybody talking about, oh, last year we were teaching everybody different roles and that was too much. And so this year now we're focusing on everybody just having their one position and becoming experts at one thing and doing that best. And that's so much better than what we did last year when everybody learned multiple positions. But like for now, if people are learning multiple positions, of course, the thing you're doing right now is awesome. So I have questions about that. And... It, that to me did not mesh with what we're talking about defensively and what Ryan Day has talked ad nauseum about defensively and all the defensive coaches have talked about, which is simplify, simplify, simplify. All the offensive players have talked about it. I've mentioned it before. The main thing that you take away from the defense last year is that it was too complicated. But here's what I think the difference is possibly, right? Um, and the question is, the comments about making the secondary guys interchangeable, is that alarming? Seems to go against Day's idea to be less complicated on defense. Also, one of this class getting its next commitment. I'm going to tell you I'm not doing a ton. I'm probably not going to get into current recruiting at all um, today, but we're going to get geared up on it. And I think probably what we'll plan to do – let me think. So we're going to preview the spring game next week, and then the week after that, the plan at the moment is they have the spring game on Saturday the 13th, and then we're supposed to get the, all the assistant coaches again on the Monday or Tuesday after the spring game. So that will give us a wrap. So we'll do a spring game preview and then a spring game wrap because we're going to learn a lot in the spring game. So then we're going to want to come back uh, that week after we talk to the assistants on Monday and Tuesday and do a podcast sort of wrapping up the spring, what we learned from the spring. So I will say that's probably what our next two podcasts are going to be, Spring Game Preview, Spring Game Wrap. But then I think the next one after that, I would say we might break it all down and reset everything recruiting-wise. And I think we'll talk strategy. We'll talk about Ohio emphasis. We'll talk about targets. Um, we'll get Tim Bielek on with me and Steven, and we'll, we'll dig into all of that and really go hard on that. I, I'm going to tell you, just with my responsibilities at Cleveland.com and the different things I'm doing and the Browns and the Indians, um, the one thing that I'm, I'm just not as 100% up on uh, sort of off the top of my head is the recruiting stuff right now. So I don't want to say stuff that's wrong. I want you guys to keep asking because um, obviously it's important. But at the moment, the most important stuff is the spring game and spring football, and you guys know that. Um, and so I don't want to pull stuff out of my butt on recruiting, but I want to do it in a real purposeful, informative way. So I would say three podcasts from now. Spring game preview, spring game wrap, then a deep dive on everything recruiting with Ohio State, um, and we'll get to that. But about the complications on defense, I think there's one thing to 
have these guys learn different positions. And that does fly in the face of simplification to me. And that's the point I made and the point that people asked about. Um, however, I think the most important part of it is what they are asking each player to do on a given snap. Within the framework of that snap, how much are they asking you to disguise something that's going to have you um, sort of get out of position then into position? How much are they asking you to make reads in the moment where um, you have to be on the same page with other defenders to make sure a guy is covered because – you know, if, if a guy does this, then it's this defender's responsibility. If he does this, it's this defender's responsibility. Obviously, that's an important part of defense, but you can make that more simple or less simple. When you're playing straight up man and you're playing press man and it's like cover the guy in front of you, that's simple, right? Um, it's within the snap. So they can teach guys different positions during the week and during spring football, and I do think that can be complicating, and I'm curious about that. But I think the most important thing is during the play, what is your responsibility how confident are you in that and how much are you allowing – how much is the call allowing you to play fast and confident? So that's the number one worry. That's the number one priority. That's the number one thing that did not happen last year. And when you look at linebackers, and I, it is seared into my brain. Tough Borland is up in a gap at the line of scrimmage against Purdue, and then he's supposed to drop out of that gap at the snap of the ball into coverage and all of a sudden, the tight end's behind him. Tough Borland can't catch up, and Purdue has the easiest 30-yard gain you've ever seen in your life. That is the snapshot of a broken defense. Let Tough Borland sit in the middle of the field and diagnose what's going to happen and not allow guys to run free in the middle of the field because Tough Borland's not running up and jumping back. Tough Borland is making a read. Tough Borland's a smart guy. If you're doing something as a defensive coordinator that's confusing Tough Borland... Or is not allowing Tough Borland to play confident and fast. Tough Borland is a smart dude. You're really messing up if that's the case. If if Baron Browning isn't certain of what he's supposed to do and can't be as fast and as confident as his, and as physical snap to snap as he should be because he's up in his own head, you are really doing something wrong. So that's the main thing. What is your responsibility within a play? That, I think, is what they really need to simplify and really will simplify. And I just hope that if these secondary guys are playing different positions, when they're on the field in the position they're playing, they need to be 100% confident in that position. If they're 100% confident and then they also can be confident, 100% confident at other spots, great. But they need that 100% confidence in their preparation and 100% confidence in the play call to let them be as good as they can be. We'll keep watching that. We will keep watching that. Woo! Chip Munn asked on the text, loyal Twitter followers, well, who do you believe will be Ohio State's five starters on the offensive line for the opener on August 31st, 2019? He suggests Thayer Munford, Jonah Jackson, Josh Myers, he says Brandon Bowen and Petit Frere. He knows Wyatt Davis is in there, though, right? He has um, other guys possibly in there, Harry Miller, Josh Alby. We'll get to a Harry Miller question. My guess, and I would feel pretty confident in it, is from left to right, Thayer Munford, Jonah Jackson, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, Nicholas Petit Frere. Josh Alby um, as your backup left tackle. Brandon Bowen, probably your, your next guy up. Brandon Bowen, probably your sixth guy. He can play tackle or guard. Um, Brandon Bowen as your sixth guy, Josh Allaby 
as as your mayor, as your Thayer Munford backup. Um, and I think you'd be okay there. So that that's my that's my assumption at the moment. Um, but let's get to a Harry Miller question. Um, and because a lot of people were uh, were asking about this with Harry Miller. Someone asked about Diet Coke. People like to know about my Diet Coke stuff because I do consider myself, to be fair, a Diet Coke expert. Um, so the Harry Miller – man, where, where are the – did I get another – Yeah, people are people are sending good questions. All right, Harry Miller, Harry Miller. Hold on. Hold on, hold on one second. Okay, Harry Miller question. Ryan Day said, um, oh, this, that was my thing. <laughs> See, I sent a text and it's like, oh, this is a really smart text that someone sent. So I was reading my own text. <laughs> here's the Harry, here's the Harry Miller thing. Um People are talking. So basically, the point is that that someone's okay. Someone sent this about Harry Miller. Ryan Day seemed to say some things that he thought Harry Miller, who is the incoming center from Georgia, top fifty recruit, that Harry Miller could compete right away. And I'm very skeptical of offensive linemen competing as true freshmen. Uh, and as someone noted, his strength is through the roof. As is his IQ. I don't think he ends up starting, and that is more coach speak. But he's got a very bright future and probably plays early. So. They're really high on Harry Miller. Um, he's on a mission right now. He's not here. He's been, and you guys probably read this. People wrote this. He's he's skyping in with Greg Sudrawa. Jonah Jackson is doing the same. It's like they're watching videos of practice. They're it's like they're getting the mental training, like they're here, even though they're not here. So, um, lots to be enthused about with Harry Miller. Uh, but again, it's just. I, I, so Harry Miller can play can play guard or center. Again, I sort of said if something goes haywire with Jonah Jackson, maybe Brandon Bowen slides in there. Um, I think maybe maybe Harry Miller would would do that same thing, but I just think that's not ideal. Um, what I mentioned in the text was that you know Michael Jordan started as a true freshman. Um, that was out of desperation. That was like Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan like demanding that he play as a true freshman. Well, he turned out to be good. He's a good player. Um, but it's because they didn't, didn't have anybody else, and he won the job as a true freshman. If a true freshman who's not Orlando Pace is winning a job on your offensive line, there's something wrong with your offensive line depth. So be excited about Harry Miller. As to that texture's point, he's got a very bright future and probably plays early. Yeah, get back to me next year when Jonah Jackson's gone. We know they have other guys in there. We know they have Matthew Jones, who was a highly recruited guy. We know they have other guys on the interior. If you want to tell me that the three starting interior linemen – in 2020, or Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and Harry Miller, I'm here for that. If you're telling me that those are the three starting interior linemen in 2019, I'm questioning that. I'm not questioning Myers and Davis. I'm questioning what happened that that Harry Miller. I I know he's and they've talked about it. Greg Sudrawa said he did 26 reps at 225 on the bench, and he's not even in college yet. And that's like a good number at the combine. 26 reps is really good. There are guys, there are Ohio State offensive linemen who went to the combine this year who didn't come close to 26 reps. So if that guy's Billy Price strong and he's also super smart, okay. But again, Billy Price, first round draft pick, started 
for a national championship team as a redshirt freshman did not start as a true freshman because he wasn't ready. And he was a little different because he was playing offensive and defensive. They, he came in as a defensive tackle, and then they moved him to offense. So maybe he was a little behind on that. Harry Miller is clearly an interior offensive lineman. But again, I just don't think that's the, the game you want to plan on. And um, I got some pushback from people on the idea that like the Michael Jordan thing was a shortcoming that he had to play in 2016. And then after the fact... Um, later in his career, Urban Meyer, whom Urban Meyer talked about offensive line depth problems all the time, used that as a, a one of, a point of reference that, hey, we had to play Michael Jordan as a true freshman, and that wasn't part of the plan. Because he knew in that moment that that is not a plan at a place like Ohio State. That truly is more like desperation. Says, based on your reporting, Doug, as well as reporting elsewhere, it feels like there's a serious focus on the linebackers on the offensive line and taking it a step further, the Buckeye coaching staff wants those two positions to be strengths. Um, I think that's the case because I think if you look at the other positions, running back's fine. Quarterback, we know the deal. Receivers, there's like veterans with Austin Mack and Ben Victor. They lost some guys, but you feel like Olave and Garrett Wilson, there are guys there to step up. K.J. Hill, back is a sure thing. Defensive line's not a question because Larry Johnson is a genius. I think the secondary is almost as much of a question. I mean, when you think about it, but Okuda and Arnett are back, and you know Jordan Fuller is pretty good. Um, so I think, yes, it's like offensive line and linebacker are the two points of, of emphasis and um, almost by default. But also they clearly so, – so the one thing is the linebackers need to be better. They need to figure that out. they got a new coach in there. The coach is going to be better. They need to figure that out. The offensive line is more – it's a recruiting question, and then it's also they lost four starters. Um, so that's the issue. But again, let's not overplay Demetrius Knox and Malcolm Pridgen and Isaiah Prince. No offense to them. And again, Michael Jordan last year wasn't as good as he was before because he was playing the wrong position. Not his fault. They absolutely have the potential to be better. Like, they should be better. And I know they're young, but they're young in a good way. So I think the offensive line should be better. And again, this is kind of on... Uh, kind of wants to draw it to develop these guys to be ready right now. How do you think Kendall Sheffield would do in the NFL? Seems to have all the skills to be a star, but never quite got to the elite level at Ohio State. Late Browns pick potential. Um, he's going to have his own pro day coming up because he hurt himself on the bench at the combine and didn't run at the combine. He's going to run maybe in the four twos. You'll see it when it comes in. I think it's, I think it's the 11th is his pro day. It's like an individual pro day. I bet you he runs like a four two eight, and people are going to go nuts. And Ian Rappaport or some NFL guy is going to report all this stuff. It's like, oh, sources said it's like I get it. The agent called you. We get it. Kendall Sheffield's agent is going to get the numbers and call the national NFL guys so Kendall Sheffield gets his own tweet from Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport. We get it. Just say the agent called me. His agent's going to call people, and he's going to run a 428 or a 429, and people are going to go nuts, and he's an elite athlete. He was an elite athlete. But I think the production didn't quite match it at Ohio State. I think he, not having Kerry Combs, maybe set him back a little bit. Um, but I think he's going to go high. I think he might be a top 100 pick. So, like, late Browns potential, like, I think maybe if the Browns don't take him. It's like, I, if I were the Browns, a guy like that who's who still to me is more – like skills and potential than production when he had a chance, when you've seen other corners here produce. I wouldn't take him in the second or early in the third. I think he's more like middle third, late third. 
Um, if for some reason he's there in the fourth and the Browns want to take him, great. I, if I were the Browns, I would not take him in the second or the third. So I think there's a little bit of a risk just because you see all the skills and, and he played great in the Rose Bowl. Um, but was that there every game of his Ohio State career? I would probably say no. Not that he was bad in games, but just he, was he elite? Was he to the level in games that Ohio State fans have become accustomed to? I'd say no. What do you think the chances are that the offensive line cost them a win in the first couple games with them not really having a lot of time to gel? I think it's possible. I think the yeah, Thayer Munford injury is not great, and, and the fact that he was hurt at the end of last year, and there's a couple different things. I don't have any inside information on Thayer Munford, but it's like he's got a hip, he's got, a, I think, a leg thing, his back stuff. Um, are, are, are you 100% sure that Thayer Munford's going to be 100% healthy all season? I mean, no. I thought Josh Allaby did fine at left tackle in the Rose Bowl, replacing him. But I, the idea of Thayer Munford missing snaps this spring, I think, doesn't matter. He's fine. Like the, from the idea of missing snaps, um, I'm not worried about that. From the idea of like Thayer Munford needs to be healthy, um, that's a little bit of a concern. Like, just let's make sure that he's healthy. So uh, he's a good player. He's a smart kid. He's a hardworking kid. He just got, he has to be healthy. I think they could. Uh, your right tackle is going to be young. Josh Myers is going to be young. Um, so could you get some goofy stuff? I, I know Stadrawa was talking about the idea of like how is Josh Myers with the under center stuff. And Stadrawa said like he loves the under center stuff. He likes the under center stuff better than the shotgun stuff. Uh, so could we see a couple rough snaps early on? Yeah, maybe. Could you see some rough snaps? We saw some rough snaps last year from Michael Jordan who was like an All-American. Um so, yeah, I do think – I think there's a couple things about this team, uh, specifically as it relates to the offense with a new quarterback, four new starters on the offensive line, and maybe some uncertainty about exactly who your go-to guys at receiver are other than K.J. Hill um, that could lead to something hinky in September that people don't expect. So I don't know what I'm going to predict. We have a question that we'll get to in a second. I don't know what I think this team's record's going to be. But I will tell you that I'm going to be on alert for something early on that you don't expect. And it's easy to say that, right? It's easy. As you could have said that last year. Oh, Bermire's not going to be here, Ryan Day, whatever. But it's like, listen, man, I knew Dwayne was the real deal. I think you guys knew Dwayne was the real deal. Um, like that, that, I was not worried about that. I was not necessarily as worried about like, oh, is something crazy going to go wrong uh, early on? So... I would just be – I would. I, what are the chances? I think like maybe 40% that, that something a little off of the offensive line leads to something happening in September that, that people don't see coming. Doug, thanks for doing the text feature. Love it. With Jalen Gill, the Jalen Gill hype building up already, is there really a spot on the field for him in 2019? Or is this the Jalen Harris, Mario McCall hype from last spring all over again where we never even see them in the fall? Thanks from my guy, Tyler Shoemaker. As loyal as they come, Tyler Shoemaker. Love you. I think there is a spot for him. And this is the only thing. This is not a slight. I'm just talking real. C.J. Saunders is a walk-on who under scholarship who deserves all the credit in the world for that. I just, I know, throw your walk-on of the week story at me. Throw Hunter Renfro at me. I get it. I get it. But if C.J. Saunders is your number two H behind K.J. Hill instead of Demario McCall, that's not where I would want this offense to go. So... I'm curious – not Demario McCall, Jalen Gill. I may as well call him Jalen McGill. Um, 
But there wasn't as much. So like DeMario last year, the issue with DeMario last year is, well, if he's a running back, he's not getting in ahead of Dobbins and Weber. And if he's an H, he's not getting in ahead of Campbell and Hill. So he was no better than third at either of his two positions. And at either of those two positions, the third guy doesn't play. Jalen Gill is not in that situation. He's a straight-up H, first of all. And the only guy ahead of him for sure is K.J. Hill. And they want to play two H's. Because I said to K.J. Hill, jokingly, the very first day we talked to him, like, hey, you know, like, did you tell him you just, just play me every snap now that Paris is gone? And he was like, oh, no, man, I need a break. So... They need a number two H they can rely on, and I think it should be and will be Jalen Gill. So I think there's a far greater opening for Jalen Gill because DeMario is not an H. <clears throat> if DeMario was still an H and we thought Hill and McCall were going to be the H-backs, then yes, now Jalen Gill's third at a spot where only two play. But DeMario is a running back. DeMario should be the number two running back. So Jalen Gill should be the number two H-back. As a, reg, as a, as a second-year guy, he's a redshirt freshman, right? Yeah, he redshirted. As a second-year guy, I think he should play ahead of C.J. Saunders. I'm not in practice every day. It's nothing against C.J. Saunders. I just obviously the upside on Jalen Gill is higher. And so if they somehow think they, that C.J. Saunders is more reliable or whatever, I mean, that's, you're, just, you're giving up some game-breaking. You're giving up some big playability um, to get a guy in the field that you think is more reliable. But I hope... Jalen Gill gets to the point where he shows them that, hey, I am game-breaking and I'm super fast, but also I'm reliable, and that there absolutely is a spot uh, for Jalen Gill this year. Um, it's a question about Ohio State's third and short offense becoming potent once again. Um, I think if it is potent, it'll be potent in a different way. I think on third and short, they'll be under center because I don't think they'll – They'll only be under short on third and center. I do the idea of like, hey, why don't we go under center to sneak it? Um, I get to all the questions from the past, but if it's like, if you never do it, and then okay, now we're doing this thing where everybody knows what we're going to do, and also we're not very good at it. I think they're going to do enough under center, and I've made this point before that when they do it on third and short, it won't be weird, and it also won't necessarily give away the play call. Although, of course, you're probably going to either sneak it or hand it to Dobbins, right? So I think it will be better. Justin Fields is a physical guy. I think the idea of like Justin Fields and even like Dwayne as big and physical, that's not Dwayne's natural thing. I think Justin Fields is much more of a guy that if you tell him you, you've got to get a half yard one way or the other going right over Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, I think you can believe that Justin Fields with his runner's instincts, with his ability to run, his, physical, his physicality, his naturalness in doing that, I think he can be really good at that. And also, I think he can give it to J.K. And as I said before, I think J.K., when he's at his best, can slither through a hole pretty well. So I think they'll be better on third and one. Again, last year I said, you know, a pass to K.J. Hill um, was the new quarterback sneak. Um, but that's not as reliable as a quarterback, as a quarterback, not a sneak, but a draw. But the way we always joked about J.T. doing it uh, in the past. I think this year it will be under center on third and short, and I think you'll have two options there, whether you run zone read, which again, Fields does well, whether you rather, whether you run zone read with, with Fields and Dobbins, whether you just sneak it with Fields, or whether you just straight up hand it to Dobbins, I think I think they'll be better at that. You're a Diet Coke guy. Do you ever change it up when you see one of those super intense Coke freestyle machines that offers every possible drink with those add-in flavors? So, um, I will say this. I, I think those of you out there in the world who drink um, normal soda, right? 
when you go to a traditional restaurant with just the regular, like at McDonald's, right, where it's just like the six or eight flavors, you've got Coke, you've got uh, Sprite, you've got maybe like a root beer or an orange soda or something like that. Um, they're all with sugar. And so if you drink diet, and I drink diet because I'm diabetic, I, I only drink diet. I haven't had like a real sugar soda. I drink 50 Diet Cokes a day, but I haven't had a real sugar soda since like I was diagnosed in 2005. I told you that story, by the way. Like this is how I found out I have diabetes. I get a new job <clears throat> at cleveland.com. I cover uh, the Texas-Ohio State game in 2005, the Vince Young beats Ohio State in the shoe game. I worked in Delaware at my old job on Friday. I fly Saturday morning to Columbus. I technically worked that game as a stringer because I am not a full-time employee yet of Cleveland.com. It's my new beat, but they didn't hire me in time for the first game. So my first game is Vince Young. Uh, cover that game as a stringer. Monday is my first actual day at Cleveland. It's not, and it wasn't Cleveland.com back then. It was a Cleveland Plain Dealer. This is before the internet was a thing. Not really, but kind of. So I had to get a physical as part of my like employee new hiring process. I had to go get a physical. And at that physical, they tell me I have diabetes. And I was like, what? And it was like, oh, now I have to start my job. And like, oh, by the way, I have a chronic disease. So that was like, are you kidding me? So it's like, it's very easy for me to remember. Um, like that kind of stuff that was all like whatever it was. And I'm going to forget it. I think the game was September 5th, maybe. And the diagnosis was September 7th. But anyway, so when you do that, you don't get to have this wide variety. So this wide variety, this wide array of soda choices. So I only drink diet. So I just only drink like at restaurants, it's only diet Coke. So now this machine you're talking about, the 100 flavor freestyle machine, I drink diet mellow yellow. I drink diet root beer. You can get diet Sprite if you want. They have all the diet options to the regular drinks or a zero option. And then again, additionally, you can get flavors. So like I get diet Barks root beer with vanilla. And again, as, a, as someone who can't drink sugar soda, it is like a game changer. It like opens the world. It's like one of those things where they have the videos of the guys who are colorblind and they put on those special glasses and they can see colors for the first time. That's what I'm like with the freestyle machine because it's like, wow, I have more than one soda option as someone who has to drink diet. And so you might have asked that question just as like a silly little thing. Ha, ha, ha. What do you think about it? It was a game changing, life altering thing for someone who drinks soda all the time but must drink diet. Um, do I change it up with the, with the freestyle machines? Yeah, I do change it up. And it is a glorious opportunity that is, had been previously denied to the diet soda drinking public. Beep, beep, beep. Question about Georgia running the option from the shotgun. Um, Georgia running the option from the shotgun. Is that going to be hard for fields or any quarterback to execute the option from under center? So, I get, I don't, like, uh, we can't wait, right? We can't wait to see what this offense is going to look like. I, th I mean, they're going to run a lot of the, the zone read option stuff from the shotgun. So they have all this spring to work on it. Um, it's going to be part of it. I think it's going to be maybe more than people think, but I don't think it'll be hard. As long as you work on it, I don't think it's hard, right? And they are going to work on it. So I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be fine. Um C. Keck with a question that I think we'll get to because it's for me and Steven and it's a good one. It's a good kind of off-season question. 
Uh, he actually says, don't know if there's too much spring practice stuff for this. Skip it if you need to. If you had one football Buckeye I'd like to see on uh, the basketball team and one basketball Buckeye I'd like to see in the football team. I like questions like that. We will get to it after this spring game. Um, let's see. This is a good question. My question is, what's more likely to happen? Ohio State goes 8-4 and four or wins one playoff game. Thanks for the great work. Boy, probably win one playoff game, but I don't think like eight and four is off the table, but like eight and four is like as bad as it gets. Like I think eight four exists reasonably in like a, that's not disastrous, but if you want to tell me that like Ohio State's pretty good, but they lose to Penn State, Michigan, Nebraska, and Wisconsin, I don't think that's impossible. If you want to tell me that they lose to Nebraska, Michigan State, Penn State, and a goofy September game along the lines of the Iowa-Purdue games of the past. Like, they lose to Indiana early or Cincinnati early. Like, I don't think that's impossible. Do I think it's more likely that they win the East, win the Big Ten, get in the playoff, and then, you know, beat somebody because Justin Fields is really good and the defense is better? I think that's more likely. I don't think either is particularly likely. Um, but I think 8-4 and four is more on the table. Um, then maybe people would want to realize. And I think the thing about eight and four that you have to understand is, again, it's the non-disastrous eight and four. It's like the reasonable, the easy, easily explainable eight and four. That there's other good teams. You have a new coach and, new, and a new quarterback. You have a couple questions on the offensive line, and like this is just sort of how it went. A couple, you know, the ball didn't bounce your way in a couple games, and like you're eight and four. That's out there. But I, if if I think that's a twenty percent chance of that, I think there's that's probably too high. If I think there's a fifteen percent chance of eight and four, I still probably think there's like a a twenty five percent chance of making the national title game, which leaves a lot of room in the middle, right? I mean, what is that? That's sixty percent in the middle. Um, so of course the middle is more likely, but I like questions that put you on the spot. So I'm going to go. Make the national title game above eight and four, but don't don't misunderstand that because eight and four is is possible. Uh, oh, this is a one that someone submitted this, and this is the last text question I think we'll take, and then we'll get to some uh, Twitter questions. Because this person sent this last week, and then again this week, and I actually thought about it. Resubmitting my question from last week. Uh, uh, fill in the blank. Ohio State wins the national championship if blank wins the Heisman and blank is an unexpected All-American. So I actually thought about this. And it has to be if Justin Fields wins the Heisman because, you know, like J.K. Dobbins is your other Heisman contender. Um, but if Justin Fields wins the Heisman, then it means he's everything he could be. And everything he could be is like a throwing, running, leading, monstrous talent. That he is some version of... of Dwayne Haskins mixed with Terrell Pryor and Braxton Miller, and he's the most dynamic quarterback in college football. And he can beat you every possible way. He makes every possible throw, and when you get pressure on him, he runs. Like, that's his Heisman thing. So uh, if that happens, and and uh, that's not fanciful, that's just best-case scenario, which, again, is not the scenario that I'm anticipating in year one at Ohio State for Justin Fields, but that's out there. So it's if Justin Fields wins the Heisman. And then I thought about this 
<coughs> and I and I still think this would be unexpected. Well, this would be unexpected because I actually had one answer, but then I, I tweaked my answer a little bit. Originally, my answer was going to be Jeffrey Okuda is an unexpected All-American. But I, I, I decided to change my answer to Damon Arnett is an unexpected All-American. And I'll, I'll say this for this reason. If you could combine the best possible Ohio State offense with a devastating secondary, if you, for instance, had the Ward, Conley, Lattimore, Hooker secondary of 2016 with the Dwayne Haskins offense, that is a national championship team. It's just that the 2016 offense was an offense that went and got shut out by Clemson in a playoff semifinal. And then in 17 and 18, your your secondary was not to that level. So the reason I'm saying Damon Arnett is because it's certainly more unexpected than Jeffrey Okuda. But I think Jeffrey Okuda is definitely going to be good. So if Damon Arnett's an All-American, that means you have two really good corners. Because if Jeffrey Okuda is an All-American, maybe Arnett's still hit and miss at times. Maybe he's still handsy. Maybe he's still getting beat. If Arnett's an All-American, I think on the other side, you're assuming that Okuda is still at least All-Big Ten. So now you have two shutdown corners. And if you're telling me you have two shutdown corners with Chase Young, uh, Tyreek Smith, I had said on text earlier this week, I thought Jay Sean Cornell has a chance to be third on this team in sacks as an interior pass rusher. It's the closest thing to a Draymond Jones replacement. If you add that to this devastating secondary that Jordan Fuller, again, reaches his potential, which I think he fell short of last year, that's what you're talking about. So that to me is, is like the dream Ohio State team. It's like a Dwayne Haskins offense and a 2016 secondary. Um, so that's my answer on that. I think it's a really, really good question. And I think it's a really interesting way to think about it. And I like the unex, unex, uh, unexpected part of that because Damon Arnett would be unexpected. Like an unexpected All-American, nobody's expecting that from Damon Arnett. So that's really interesting. Um, okay. Love again. I just I just want to say oh so people people talking about day. I sent a, I sent a, a thing about day. You got, I'm not going to give everything away that I say in text. I'm going to say some of it for the people who pay, and uh, I just would encourage you guys to try it. Um, I just there's been a lot of good feedback from the people who have signed up, and they don't have to say this, but the, you know if they're just sending it to me, and they're saying that they really like it. And it's just things to make you think. It's something I wrote about, I sent about Ryan Day. I'm probably going to include it in a story that I'm going to write about Ryan Day. But I gave you like a nugget now that gave you something to think about in the middle of your workday about Ohio State football. That maybe you could say hey, to your friend, hey, you know, this blowhard Doug just said this thing. What do you think about this? And it's something to talk about. It's just something. It's like a thing. It's just it's like a little pixie dust sprinkled into your life. If you like Ohio State football enough to get one or two sprinkles of pixie dust a day, you know, you're at work, you know, you're just sitting home. I try not to do it too early in the morning. I try not to interrupt your dinner. You know, I wanted to do it maybe either when you're at work, maybe at lunch, maybe give you a quick one at night when you're sitting watching TV. It's like a little thing to think about Ohio State. It's something you care about. It's 13 cents a day to get a little shot of something you care about basically every day from a guy that probably if you're signing up for it, you don't hate. Or maybe you want the information so much that you hate me, but you do it anyway. So I would encourage people to try it. Um, 
somewhat, I'll tell you, but I'm going to give, it's just stuff I think. It's stuff I say here all the time. I've said a lot of the same stuff, but again, you don't have to wait all week for it, but I'm not going to necessarily give away every single thing because this is free and I appreciate you guys listening. I don't want you to think like I'm keeping stuff from you because I'm not. I can't help it. At the end, we had this Indians breakfast the other day where we talked to all these Indians fans and like the boss said like, how did it go? Um, afterward, I was like, you know, just sitting in front of people and talking. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're pretty good at it, though. And it's like, I wasn't complaining. I was like, man, if I could just get paid to sit and spout my opinion to people like eight hours a day every day, that's my ideal job. Hey, Doug, what do you think? So that's what I do here. I'm not holding back. I'm really not. But, uh, but to the point of this text thing, someone just said, goodness gracious, $3.99 a month is a steal for this kind of excellent perspective. So try it. Um, but there are some questions about sort of like Ryan Day's future path. Um, I joked about this, I think, to Ryan Day's face. Like, if you want to tell me Ryan Day is the next head coach of the New England Patriots, like, I'd buy stock in that right now. That's not an affront to Ryan Day. Is this Ryan Day's dream job? Not the same way it was Urban Meyer's dream job. Not the same way it was Jim Tressel's dream job. It doesn't make him a bad hire. It doesn't mean he shouldn't be the coach. I'm just telling you. He didn't grow up here. It should not be disqualifying. You should not have had to grow up in Ohio to be the Ohio State head coach. That would be a crazy thing to do to limit the scope. Ryan Day is a really talented football coach, and I think Ohio State's in a good spot with him. He grew up in New Hampshire, man. He's not going to go be the head coach at the University of New Hampshire. But he watched the Patriots when he was a kid. So I don't know. He didn't tell me that. But, like, I don't know. That's fine. So it's like, are we going to sit? Am I going to sit here like every year and be like, oh, is he going to the Patriots? No, because there's no reason to do that. And Josh McDaniels is probably the next head coach of the Patriots. He's been waiting forever there, right? But like, who knows, right? So all I'm telling you is if Ryan Day is really good here, the thing that I think is the point about Ryan Day is that if he's really good here, I think it's possible that he could go some – there could be a next step for him. I think for some people – Ohio State's the end game. It's the end goal. Like, okay, if I'm great here, then that means I still get to be here. Um, and for some people, even at Ohio State, Ohio State could be, well, if I'm great here, then that might open an opportunity for something else. And I think more than Urban Meyer, more than Jim Tressel, Ryan Day, at least on the surface, the way you look at his career, where he is right now, he has a young family. This dude is not looking to get out of here at all. I guarantee you that. But if he's really good here and the NFL comes calling and it's a really good NFL job, I don't know. I think it's maybe possible. So anyway, people seem to like the texts. I appreciate that. Um, and someone wanted to say, talk about Ryan Day calling into the radio on the podcast and why that's so much different and refreshing than anything Urban would do. So uh, my friend Bo Bishop is doing a show on 97.1 The Fan in Columbus this afternoon and Ryan Day calls in out of the blue. And, and I understand the question, but I will say I think it's only this. It's smart PR. You're the new guy. You want everybody on your side. You want the media on your side. You want the fans on your side. You want to lay a foundation of what a great guy you are in case you go 8-4. and four. If you go 12-0, and 0, you're going to have plenty of friends. If you go 8-4, and four, you might need a couple friends. So if they go 8-4, and four, it does not mean Ryan Day is a terrible coach. But... Every coach in the world is more accommodating to fans and the media early on. And then once you start winning 11 and 12 games a year, then you don't need us as much. 
Because you have your record. You have your wins. You have your rings. When you have your rings, you do not need me. Before you have rings, it helps if you go eight and four, if maybe a guy like me thinks you're a swell fella. Now, do I try to let that influence me? No, it's not personal to me. I'm not friends with these guys. I've never been friends. I don't have any friends. So I just tell you what I think. I don't care about the consequences of my relationship with anybody because the only relationship I care about is a relationship with you guys. So I tell you straight, but why is Ryan Day calling a radio show? Because he's new and he needs friends. All right, we're going to get to some quick Twitter questions in one second here on Buckeye Talk. All right, hitting some questions from our old favorites, our friends from the beginning, Nikki Unders. Love him. In last year's spring game, you said there was a throw that Dwayne Haskins made where you thought he's the guy. Uh, I wrote that. You can go find it on Google. I mean, was I right? Yeah, I was right. Do you anticipate that Fields or Baldwin has a similar moment? Yes. I actually, I said, gosh, this is a good question. I almost should save it for, uh, um, I almost feel like I should save it for the spring game preview. But maybe we can revisit it next week. But the, the bottom line is, I think Justin Fields is going to do something. And maybe it's not a throw. But I think it might be an example of, hey, with the young offensive line, hey, with the new coach, hey, with some stuff, when things don't go perfect, this is what Justin Fields can do as opposed to what Matthew Baldwin can do. Because I do think there are people who would watch practice and tell you, man, look, Matthew Baldwin can really make the throws. But And, and I think that's true. And it's not that Matthew Baldwin can't move. I think Matthew Baldwin's a good athlete too. But I don't think he's on the level of Justin Fields when it, it comes to improvisation, when it comes to zone read. So I think there might be a moment for everybody where <clears throat> even if the, quarter the quarterbacks aren't going to be live, but Justin Fields may do something where he flashes some speed or he puts a move on a guy or he just evades something and makes a throw on the run where you, you think to yourself, and maybe I'll write it again, but you think to yourself, man, how can you not put that on the field? How can you not take that upside? How can you not take that guy who can bail you out? And I thought last year, no matter what Joe Burrow did, Dwayne Haskins, his ability throwing the ball just made you say, how can you pass on that? I don't care. It doesn't matter what Joe Burrow does. How can you deny yourself the opportunity to see what a guy who can throw it like that can do with the full season? And what he did with the full season is throw 50 touchdown passes. And you saw it in the spring game. So I don't think Justin Fields is going to throw. He's not going to throw. I don't think it. He is not going to throw 50 touchdown passes this year. But I think Justin Fields may make a play in the spring game that makes everybody, not just me, say, man, how can you deny yourself the opportunity of that for a full year? Ben K at B Flusk 5, based on your observations, what are the early expectations for Fields? As good of a runner as Pryor, as good of a thrower as Haskins, what do you think he'll look like this fall, assuming he'll win the job? I think he'll be inconsistent. I think he will bail you out with some really smart scrambles. I think he'll really execute the zone run pretty well uh, with J.K. Dobbins. I think Justin Fields' presence will make J.K. Dobbins a better runner. And then I think there'll be some times where, where everybody says, man, he's not Dwayne Haskins. But I think he'll also be times where he say, man, that was really good. I just don't think it's going to be consistent right away. I think his top end as a thrower is not as good as Dwayne Haskins. But what I've said for Ohio State fans is throw Dwayne Haskins away. Forget Dwayne Haskins. And try to think about Justin Fields. Well, how does he throw it compared to JT Barrett and Braxton Miller and Terrell Pryor and Troy Smith and a lot of other quarterbacks that have won a heck of a lot of games at Ohio State? 
You don't have to be Dwayne Haskins to win at Ohio State and win at a high level and make the playoff and maybe win a national championship. If you could do some other things, it certainly would help, but you can't expect that. So throw it away. As good of a thrower as Haskins, no. As good of a runner as Pryor, maybe because in a different way. I think he could be a better runner like in designed runs. As dangerous as a scrambler, maybe not, but I think almost as good as in his own way. So I would lean, if you're going to lean somewhere for the moment, I'd lean more prior than Haskins. But I think your expectations just should be, again, throw out Dwayne Haskins. And I think I think Justin Fields will come much closer um, to reaching your expectations if you allow yourself to just think about Ohio State offenses um, from 1900 through 2017 and not try to throw 2018 in there. Because... As, as the, the, the point is, 2018 is the outlier. And I think that's – sometimes something happens and people want something to be the new normal. When it turns out, it's kind of a one-time thing. And I think you have to be ready to go back to the old normal, which was really good. And does that mean that this, this program isn't going to progress as a throwing offense? No. I think, the, I think it is going to progress. I think Ryan Day is going to turn it that direction. But just don't assume Dwayne Haskins type – uh, ability when it comes to strictly passing the ball. Tyler Feeney, he actually had a Harry Miller question. Um, talking about, again, that Harry Miller is really, really good. What kind of chance do you think Harry Miller actually has of taking meaningful snaps away from Josh Myers? I think none unless Josh Myers, like, none unless Josh Myers in games doesn't do the job. If Josh Myers is snapping it over Justin Fields' heads, if he's missing blitz pickups, if they are having trouble setting the protections, um, if if they are getting no push in the interior in the run game, I don't think Harry Miller will will has a chance to take away Josh Myers' playing time unless Josh Myers fails, and that happens sometimes. It doesn't happen a ton, but. And, and I'm not expecting Josh Myers to fail. I think Josh Myers, who's a top 50 recruit or top 75 recruit um, in year three, is ready for this. I think he is. And I think Harry Miller will be ready in year two or three, too. But I just wouldn't – I wouldn't go that way right now. Um, I don't think – I don't think Harry Miller is going to be so – so el- so instantaneously elite – that all of a sudden you've got to take a good player off the field. I think that's only a worst-case scenario in the middle, which is a scenario that I'm not expecting. Jake Howard, what uh, what player do you expect to make the biggest step forward from last year because of a coaching change? Also, what Big Ten Stadium is the best to visit as a sports writer? Uh, like, can I cross my fingers on Baron Browning? I think I've made my point. My point exists on Baron Browning. I think he's good. I think he wants to be in a position where he's not playing middle linebacker, and I think being coached by Bill Davis held him back. So whether it's Greg Madison sort of finding something in the scheme for Baron Browning to do, whether it's Al Washington just finding a way to get the best out of Baron Browning, um, maybe expect is not the right word. That's who I hope. That's who I hope takes the biggest step forward based on that. Um, but I think if who I expect, it might be Jordan Fuller. Because I think just last year was a year, a weird year for the safeties, and I think it's kind of lost in the mix. The other safety spot was such a problem until Brendan White got in there that I think we do forget a little bit that Justin Fuller, again, in my opinion, went from great in 2017 to good in 2018. And I think we could see great Jordan Fuller again, um, which would be fantastic for this defense. And I think it might be 
a coaching change, not not just Alex Grinch to Jeff Halfley in the secondary, but also a change in the defensive scheme, getting Greg Schiano out of there and doing something different schematically that gives Jordan Fuller a better chance to be an All-American type of player. Where do you see Justin Fields in terms of being a top quarterback, both in the Big Ten and nationally? Is he a legit top three in the Big Ten and top 20 nationally? And Silky Goose, at Goose Silky, responded to that question from Chris Dreger and said, yes. And uh, I love when uh, our readers answer the questions of other readers. It's very helpful. Um, I'm going to pull this up. Tim Bielek did this at the start of spring football. We talked about it, and Tim, uh, Tim did this. He gave us his ranking of Big Ten quarterback situations um, entering the fall. And now let's see if I can find it. Tim! Timmy, Timmy, Tim, 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 Bielek. Timmy, Timmy, Tim, 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 Bielek. So by Tim's analysis, the only two uh, teams with a better quarterback situation, he sort of did the whole situation, not just the individual quarterbacks, which I think is a smart way to do it. The only two that are better were Michigan and Nebraska. That's Adrian Martinez at Nebraska and Shea Patterson at Michigan. Um, And I said a year ago um, that I thought by the end of the year, there's a lot of hype around Trace McSorley going in. I said by the end of the year, I think the two best quarterbacks in the Big Ten will be Dwayne Haskins and Shea Patterson. I don't know if Shea Patterson got there. Dwayne Haskins sure as heck did. So um, I would say that, that yes, Haskins uh, Haskins is gone. Yes, Justin Fields is probably a top three quarterback in the Big Ten, but I don't think it's guaranteed. I think Adrian Martinez in the second year with Scott Frost is going to be really good. Uh, I think Patterson did not look good against Ohio State. I think that wasn't the best of him, but then that's on them too. He needs to be at his best, and Michigan needs to help him be at his best in the most important game of the year. Um, I think maybe there's something more for Patterson, but I think Field still has a higher upside. I think there's a couple interesting guys. Graham Mertz is a true freshman at Wisconsin. I don't know if he's going to win that job. Really high hopes for him, but... Again, if I'm apprehensive about Justin Fields being ready right away, I mean, Graham Mertz is a true freshman in college. I'm not going to think he's going to be better than Justin Fields. And then I think Northwestern's really interesting with Hunter Johnson. Um, the transfer from Clemson is a five-star guy. But again, Hunter Johnson transferred, sat. He's in a very similar situation to Justin Fields. Do I, am I certain that, that Hunter Johnson's going to be better than Justin Fields? Heck no. I certainly would bet on Justin Fields to be better than Hunter Johnson. But I think that's a guy that maybe where it's at least possible um, where Hunter Johnson is at that kind of level. And then there's just not a lot. I mean, there's Nate Stanley. Um, Nate Stanley at Iowa. Brian Lewerke, you know, at, at Michigan State, who I think showed last year. He's, he's not great. Maryland's had a lot of quarterback injuries the past couple of years. Nobody there. Um, I'm not going to put Nate Stanley ahead of Justin Fields. Um, there's a young guy, Jack Tuttle at Indiana. But again, he's he's coming in new as a transfer uh, it's it's a, it's a, not a great quarterback league at the moment, um, so I would I would say that yes, my expectation is for Justin Fields to be a top three quarterback in the Big Ten, and then what's the, what's the next comparison? It was top three and top twenty nationally. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, if you're top three in the Big Ten, there's only five power conferences. If you're top three in the Big Ten, you should probably be top fifteen nationally. You know, because I mean. Maybe there's a couple extra guys in the Big 12. Maybe there's not as many guys in the Pac-12. Maybe there's a couple guys, you know, um, from smaller conferences, uh, Mackenzie Milton or whatever. You throw in some guys, guys like that. Um, I don't think 
Like, I think Justin Fields could be top three in the Big Ten and top 20 nationally and, like, not be great and only be good. So I think yes, Chris Traeger, to your question, and Silky Goose agrees. I think yes. Tom Marzano asked this question, and I reached out to Ohio State about it to double-check. So, Tom Marzano, this is for you. I don't see the spring game televised this year. Am I missing something? The spring game will be televised, as usual, on the Big Ten Network, noon, April 13th. I double-checked on that. If I rub a magical Buckeye and a genie gives me three Ohio State football wishes, what should I wish for? That's from Alex the Analyzer. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for, the, for, for later. Um, it's a great question. I think that could even be a topic on its own in June. Your three Ohio State wishes. Maybe we'll tie it into that Will Smith being a blue genie uh, movie. I'm a little apprehensive about all the live action Disney stuff. Like cartoons are cool. I don't need every cartoon in the world to then become live action. So I am apprehensive about Will Smith as the genie. And I get that the genie in, in the cartoon is blue. But I don't know that they had to make him blue in the real life thing, right? I think he just could have let, been like, hey, Will Smith's the genie, but he's not going to be blue. Because I just think Will Smith looks a little weird blue. Uh, Mark Roberts, Mark 44 Roberts. Is Ryan Day going to experience an inexplicable and devastating loss like Iowa or Purdue? Why or why not? What's what's going to happen in 2019 that will cause everyone to say, oh, my, Urban would never do that? That's Ryan Day. It's his team now. Boy, those are great questions. Uh, I probably should have thought about it more before I asked him. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. like if it, Yes. Will it be devastating? I think he will experience an inexplicable loss. Because, again, like Urban Meyer is one of the five best coaches in college football history, and he experienced them. Um I mean, I, th- I think the thing that might happen again is like they, Ohio State had a remarkable record of pulling out close games under Urban Meyer. I think a couple of these close games might go against them. Um, just because I think maybe that's what Urban did best. Motivate during the week that sets your players up in that moment to succeed and then motivate in the moment that helps get them over the top. I think that may be his best quality. And it's not a knock on Ryan Day, but I think it might be hard to replicate the way Urban could bring that out of guys and put guys on edge to the put guys on edge during the week so that when you're in overtime at Wisconsin or in overtime at Penn State, like you're ready for it because he was <clears throat> all over you at practice to the point that in those moments you weren't nervous, you weren't shrinking because this was just what you did. You were trained for that. So I think I think that they might experience that. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait on the what Ryan Day might do and try to save that for later because that's a really good question. Um, Charlie McQuillan at Y Town Westsider um, says I'm a diet Pepsi guy, but man, McDonald's has some good Diet Coke. Would you agree that the Diet Coke is the best on the market? Chili's Diet Coke I always think is really good at burns. I like it when you get a burn on that Diet Coke. But I think there's been study, stories written about it that McDonald's Diet Coke, they do something next level with the sweetness, which is why – it's part of why I've made McDonald's my office away from my office because of the uh, unlimited Diet Coke there. It's not just the unlimitedness of it. It's the quality. It is a little different. In your opinion, what would be the biggest reason the Buckeyes miss the playoff from E. Bronsty, QB quarterback – excuse me, quarterback, coaching, defense, the annual four-touchdown blowout, loss, et cetera? The biggest reason they missed the playoff, I think, is in offensive inconsistency, which would tie to 
both the quarterback and the offensive line and the who's the playmaker at receiver I'm sure I can rely on beyond KJ Hill. That that just in a moment, almost like the Purdue game, because again, if you watch that Purdue game again, the defense got smoked at the end, I think because they were out of juice and they were mentally worn down. But the offense missed opportunities in the first three quarters to make that a game or even take the lead at times. And I think more of that kind of offense where it's like, man, like this is a weird game. Like the offense has moved the ball, but then they, they just, you know, somebody dropped the ball on third down or somebody missed a block and Fields got sacked and fumbled or like Fields threw like a goofy interception for no reason. And you start stacking some of those inexplicable offensive mistakes on top of each other. And all of a sudden, a game that Ohio State should have controlled is close. And all of a sudden, it's the fourth quarter and then you lost. And like you can't believe it. But then you go back through and you realize that there were like eight offensive mistakes that led to like, 17 points for the other team and took away 14 points from you and now you lose 28-24 and that's why. So I think it's offensive inconsistency that I think if you believe the defense has to be better than last year um, and the coaching, um, if you're not necessarily worried about the coaching, even though that stuff I just said about Urban and late game stuff, I just think it's that Ryan Day offense, new quarterback, four new starters on the offensive line, you lose McLaurin and Dixon and Paris. Like, what now? It's that. Mm, Rachel Mansfield, and this might be it. Our Manny Clee. I'm still concerned about the linebacker play this upcoming season. Where do you stand? Are you at all concerned? I'm more curious than concerned. I feel like we do not have the answers other than Malik Harrison. I'm curious about the personnel as it fits in the scheme. I'm curious about how this bullet's going to work. I'm curious about if they're going to rotate. I'm curious about who's going to be on the field. I'm curious about a world where is it like the tough Borland and Malik Harrison are going to be on the field 90% of the time and other guys aren't going to play that much. Um, I'm curious about how they use Baron Browning. I'm curious about where Toronto Mitchell fits in. I'm curious about where guys like Dallas Gant as a young guy fits in. Where Did I already say Browning? Where Browning fits in? How much is Pete Warner who started last year? How much is he going to play? Um, I'm curious. And so like that curiosity can easily lead to concern. But I'm giving benefit of the doubt for now. I don't want people to freak out about linebackers because I don't think it can be worse. I think the scheme last year killed them. So that will be better. But I'm super duper curious. And I think we all need to be on alert. Uh, Mikhail Ice, who we get to a lot because his questions are so good, wants to know the receiver that leads the team in receptions and yards and TDs. We'll get to that later. Scale of 1 to 1,000, so throwback to how we used to like to do that, from Chorkman, C-H-O-R-K-M-A-N. And we'll finish with this because it's also a Taco Bell question. On a scale of 1 to 1,000, how concerned are you with the depth of the offensive line? Like 700? Um, I, we wrote about this at the time. Before the Brandon Bowen injury in 20. 2017, right? 2017. Um, their health on the offensive line was remarkable. They hadn't like missed a start in the Urban Meyer era. It was unbelievable. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, how healthy they were on the offensive line and what a huge part of their success that was. Because Urban Meyer has been worried about the offensive line for years and now I think there's a carryover to that. Um, if you believe in Petit Frere, Davis, Myers, Jackson, Munford as starters. If you believe in Bowen as a sixth guy at guard and tackle, if you believe in Alibi as a tackle backup if you need him. 
Um, that's seven, and you don't always get to seven. If you believe in Harry Miller as a as a, a freshman who's strong and smart and might be ready um, if something happened. I mean, that's eight, and you don't always get to eight. Um, but I feel like there's some ifs in there too. So I'm not freaked out, but I think there is concern. I think there is concern. But I also think that maybe it could be quickly become pretty apparent of like, no, they're fine. Like there's long-term depth concerns in recruiting and like down the road stuff um, that they had to get fixed. And they have to get fixed if they take six guys in the 2020 recruiting class on the offensive line. But I think it's possible that right now it's like, man, listen, our five are good. And Bowen and Allaby look great. And Miller's coming and that's eight and we're good. Like I think that's possible too. So I think I'll say 700. And then his question is, what is the best Taco Bell menu item? Hint, it's Mexican pizza. And I will make this confession. I think maybe I said this before. I am an old person who is like re-experiencing Taco Bell. Um, I was never a Taco Bell guy because I like to eat in my car. And I just don't know. How do you eat those tacos in the car? There's so much grease. How do you eat that without staining every article of clothing in your closet? That worries me. But I've had Taco Bell in the car like twice in the last two weeks, which is two times more than I had in the previous two years. I like Mexican food. I didn't want to go to Chipotle. I didn't want fast casual. I wanted to be in my car, go through a drive-thru and get Mexican food. And I was like, man, does a Mexican drive-thru restaurant exist? And I was like, yeah, Taco Bell, you ding dong. But I've, I've never go there. And the menu's intimidating. It feels like you need a level of expertise on the menu. If, some, if you're suggesting Mexican pizza to me, that can help. But my concern, and I'm willing to take suggestions on this, is how do you effectively eat Taco Bell in a vehicle? Because if I'm going drive-through, I don't want to go drive-through so that I can eat it when I get home. If I'm going through a drive-through, I want to eat it right then. So if I can't eat your drive-through food while I'm driving, it's dead to me. So what is the secret to eating Taco Bell food while you drive? That's the question that we need to answer on the next Buckeye Talk. For now, thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to everyone who tweets. You guys have been with us from the start, and we love you, and we are not going to ignore you. But I want to give our new texters a little bit of a kick because I love them. They're, they're trying something new, which it can be hard to do sometimes. We did not get to the Gmail questions this week, and I did see them. We got a couple, and we will get back to them, and we appreciate that. We're not going to ignore the emailers ever because there's some really good email questions there, and I understand that everybody in the world's on Twitter. So we're just going to have – we have a new way to get some questions, and I just really – I'm not going to beg because I understand everybody has choices to make with their money, and I respect that. But – I'm just asking to think about it and consider it. Think about our text message app. At Doug Maurice on Twitter, it's my pinned tweet. You can go to cleveland.com. They will direct you there. And if you just want to type it in, if you're like, if you're like Doug, just I'm going to write it down right now and I'm going to go there. Then I'm going to tell you to go to this website, okay? Project text, okay? So it's two T's right next to each other. Project text.com slash campaigns slash 28 and then you get my picture and you can sign up there it's 3.99 a month it's 13 cents a day so grateful to everyone who's tried it um, and grateful to anyone who's going to give it a shot now so 
We'll be back next week with a spring game preview. Send the questions on text. Send the questions on Twitter when I do the call out. Email to at BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. For now, uh, we'll have Stephen Means back next week. You know what? I think it's episode 200 next week. Official episode 200. How about that? Crazy! For Stephen Means, who was not here this time, but we'll be back next week. I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks to you all for subscribing to the text message app. And no matter if you do that or not, so grateful that you make Buckeye Talk a part of your week. So thanks to you guys. We'll talk to you soon. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>